Oh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Bottom of the Bill. We got our boy Tim Hall on today. Thanks for being here, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for coming so, over to Riverside. You still live over at the beach? Where do you live at? I actually live in Lakewood, which is just south of San Marco. Oh, so this is a hop, skip, and jump. Yeah, I had to stop by the club real quick and grab something. But, oh, but that yeah, makes sense. You look close to Jack far. Yeah. yeah. Um, before we get started, do our obligatory oh, yeah. cheers. Yeah, man. He's drinking water. We I, did. I respect Sorry. the maker's mark. I've just taken some um, pharmaceuticals, so I'm kind of nervous about drinking any alcohol right I now. I understand, yeah, for sure. Sounds like a could be a great time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah if, if, if it was, yeah, no, I agree. If it was the fun stuff, yeah. yeah it's, it's all um, legal and all prescribed, unfortunately. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. Um, before we get started, I just want to give a shout out to our sponsors, uh, Spliffs uh, Downtown, uh, Wicked Barley Brewery over in Mandarin, uh, the Brews over in Riverside, Harleston Scotch. Uh, sidecar over in San Marco and Captain Jack's Smokehouse in Fernandina. And we're working on a new sponsor as well. So by the time this comes out, we'll probably have that locked in place. Dope. Um, so I'll just go ahead and give me a shout out anyways. Blue Jay Listening Room. Oh, right uh, and uh, make sure you're supporting all these places because I know they're all going through it right now. And whatever we can do to keep this community alive and all the bars and restaurants going. Do you guys eat burgers? Um, I eat, well, I don't eat beef anymore, but he's vegetarian now. Yeah. I eat burgers. Have you had the Spliff's burger? Is it as amazing Spliff? as everyone keeps telling me? Spliff? I don't even know they had a burger. I yeah. Had, they have a new I burger. Had the, I had the vegan burger the other day and yeah. it was amazing. Nobody cares. All right. Uh, the, go, the the goat boy nobody though that, that the goat boy sounds good and it's pronounced vegan Ve- okay nobody vegan. calls it no- it's vegan do you <laughs> eat, right. do you right. eat vegetables or vegetables yeah yeah I guess I guess that's that's an un- well, that's for later I think. yeah that's how you piss off a, a vegan real quick unpopular it's actually opinion. pronounced vegan uh, that's a good unpopular opinion that's what yeah I was thinking. <laughs> there's the unpopular opinion I've been saying that for years because I used right to date on. a vegan um, also. <laughs> Also, um, if you have any questions, suggestions, or unpopular opinions your, yourselves, you can send it to bottomofthebill at gmail.com, and we'll talk about it on the show. Um, and then we have some shows to mention. We have our set at Monster Mash on October 31st, a festival. Um, I think we're playing somewhere like at 7 or 8 o'clock at night yet. I don't think the schedule has been released, but I think they're working on that. Um, and then we have the- Where is that? It's uh, in Hastings. And it's just like a field or a camping they, area? They it had a festival there. They did the Backwoods, the the backwoods Fam go, Jam yeah. they okay. did down there a few years that. ago. Yeah. You come in? No, but I, I remember one, that. No, no. I got one ticket left. I'm, I'm not it. going out there. All <laughs> right. Okay. Really, though. All right. Um, and then uh, we are playing at 1904 on November 21st. And that is, uh, we're making some changes as far as that goes. So stay tuned for that. And then uh, that's really all I got in the books. You got anything coming up, Bill? Yeah, uh, Greenhouse Lounge is playing October 30th in 1904, and that's going to be a banger. Uh, the tickets are going fast. It's uh, half capacity, so I think we've sold more than half of the tickets at least. So nice. buy your ticket now. And that's probably the only 2020 show for Greenhouse Lounge, right? Uh, yeah, for right now, that's everything that's on the books. There so. you go. Tim's got it. Tim's I, got I, it would, I would say if you want to see him in 2020, that's it. If that's you're going to go to a show, go to that one. Right. You need to. And then also Side Hustle, too. Yeah, also just that. Yeah, band the too. other <laughs> band that I'm in. It's about to release for record. No big deal. Okay. <laughs> um, you got anything you want to promote, Tim? No. No. <laughs> These bands can promote Jack them themselves. Jackrabbits <laughs> is open every weekend. Um, I honestly, it's, yeah. I don't have, I don't, off the top of my head, like I, we were talking about Big Titty Goth Girls right before we went live, and, and they sold it out last Saturday. But 
it's one of those things where it's like um it's really i you know it's difficult to think okay what shows do i have coming up because a lot of these bands are new to me yeah. i mean even though they're not new necessarily to the scene we just for the most part we book national acts and then we fill in slots with locals as openers or as headliners but it's just once when the touring industry is alive and going we don't usually have enough time to do like very rarely we'll have a friday saturday in a row that we have a full local show on both nights right it's just too many touring acts and it's probably only going to get 10 times worse whenever they actually whenever they can actually like we're talking about we're yeah, you know, the pandemic's over, quote unquote, or whatever, so that people can tour again. I mean, I, I'm holding a ridiculous amount of holds on dates in late 2021 to 2022, where really? it's like, where it's like, wait, that, that eight far holds. Out two, two years from now. All the, yeah, every agent's like eight holds know, a night. Yeah, eight holds on one night. Jesus in other words, Christ. there's just eight, eight different bands that want to come in that night, and it's kind of like, it just sucks because I look at it sometimes and we were, it was like that at the beginning of 2021 in February or March, when things started postponing, we postponed them to January or at the end of this year. And all those shows that we postponed till are being postponed again now. And it's like, it's, it's a lot of fucking work without any, you know, I mean, it's, you know, like I said, I, I, I'm, it's what I've done all my life. So it's kind of like, I don't see myself doing anything else, but as far as I just sit there and go, how many times are we going to reschedule this show? You know? Yeah, I, I, I mean, can't even imagine, man. Um, so. I do want to get into some of that in a little bit, but I wanted to ask you how you got started being in the promoting side of things. Were you a fan first and then kind of? Um, yeah, kind of. I mean, actually, I was I was in the military and, and stationed with the Marine Corps in Camp Pendleton, but I was in the Navy. And... Uh, anyways but but basically i was stationed at camp pendleton which is north san diego and um i like i I was big into photography and everything so there was a fanzine called absolute reality magazine which was a fanzine for a band called the alarm probably never oh heard yeah of them. no i used to listen to all okay, of them cool. really? oh, yeah, yeah. Right. so i took i got hired on to take pictures for them and they they weren't only even though it was a fanzine it was called absolute reality which is the name of an alarm song but they they shot other shows and stuff like that or did stories about other shows like U2 and Bauhaus and all these different bands at the time. But basically it hired me to take pictures, which I wasn't that great. It was a hobby. I wasn't a professional photographer. I was still in the military doing this, you know, photography stuff on the side. And, um, they sent me out to shoot different bands. And there was this local band that they sent me out to shoot called the silent treatment out of San Diego. And I got to be friends with those guys. And then I was getting, I was, this was like in, 1988 and I was just getting out of the military and living up in Dana Point just renting a room up there and this guy's go yeah man why don't you be our manager this kind of thing and I'm just like okay <laughs> sure wow. I have no idea what that means yeah right because you guys are a local band and I'm I'm not a manager you know what I mean it's you're like, a photographer right anyway you but, as a manager but right. I uh, well they didn't hire me and there was no pay involved yeah. that's yeah, what I'm like- but but you they did I let mean. me live at the band house, which was the big deal. There was a room. I had a room on this loft, and then it went out into the loft. And you could, it was a great place to do shows too, because you had this big loft, and the band would play down, like literally down the living room, and everyone could be piled up oh, on the stairs sick. in the loft. It was awesome. That sounds like a the, but, like a Doors movie, that I, you know. It was a trip, man. And then my the bass player lived on the other side of the 
the loft area like he he had a room there i had a room over here and then downstairs was the big living room and then underneath the loft was the kitchen and then uh dave's parents i think the guitar player rest in peace dave he's he died a few years ago but he he uh his parents owned the house i think is how it became a band house okay. like they moved out of it and he was able to rent it from them and then we all paid him rent obviously but it was a four bedroom in Mira Mesa, California. Anyways, I moved in there and started booking them shows, you know, around town and stuff. And as I was booking them, you know, you get to know other bands just by booking your friends' bands. And you're, you know, I mean, that kind of snowballed. And I met, you know, we booked a lot of shows at Bad Radio at the time, which is Eddie Vedder's band before Pearl Jam, before he moved to Seattle. Anyways, so we did shows a lot together with those guys and another band called Baba Yaga, which is Gregory page. He's great. He's one of the people when people go, who's, who do you think should have made it? that didn't Gregory page has made it because he makes his living at it. So it depends on where, what make it is. Sure, but yeah. the thing is, if you would have said Eddie and Gregory at the same time, which would be bigger, I could have easily said Gregory page would be bigger than Eddie Vedder. I don't know. I mean, it's wow. like they were both really great and, Greggy just didn't ever get the breaks, I think, is what it boils down to. Yeah. You know? it's such a, especially at that time, man, it's such a hard, you know, I, I talk all the time about us being lucky as musicians, uh, musicians nowadays to kind of have all these things at our fingertips because our destiny is so much more in our own control at this point. Not to say there's not other gatekeepers that can kind of say one way or the other what happens to you, but, like, there's definitely through social media and you know you have your own press kits now and you have access to publicists and marketing firms and things ways to get yourself heard without having to go through record labels for everything you know yeah i mean it's definitely it's and it's and the whole the entire music business is a very niche business now as far as as far as you can be you can go out and sell 500 to 1000 tickets in every single market in the country just about but but as far as like if um, Joe Blow that works in the law firm down the street, they've never even heard your name. You know what I mean? Right. right. So it's it's different than it was obviously in the 80s or I wasn't doing it in the 70s. But, you know, basically it it started changing with the with people, everybody getting online, basically. Yeah. You know what I mean, that's when everything started changing. That was something I, I was kind of interested in. I actually had that question written down here later. But I, but since we're talking about it, um, what have you noticed? Uh, have you noticed a change in the industry, uh, at least, well, at least in your occupation as a promoter? Have you noticed a change from you know like the '80s, '90s into today with technology and social media? How has your job changed, basically? Yeah, I mean, even when we first we first relocated, my wife and I to Jacksonville. She's from Jacksonville. I'm my dad's military, so I moved all over the place gotcha. my entire life. So I don't have a place I'm from. <laughs> Sometimes I say Gitmo because it was one of my favorite places I ever no lived. Shit. <laughs> but um, but anyways, um, when we bre- when we when we moved here to Jacksonville, it was '97, I think. And I still we still owned our club out in San Diego, and I literally would go every quarter. I'd spend a month out there with one of my partners out there, and then I would be three months out here in Jacksonville because I was still booking the club out in San Diego and it's kind of hard to not be in the market and book it from that far away totally, yeah. and knowing what's next, who's coming up, who, especially at that time, right? Yeah. The vibe and stuff. But what was the question? I went off on a tangent. No, it's Sorry. okay. Just how your job has changed. Uh, like the roles you've had to play or, or things you don't have to do as much of now, given the social media and the technology that's out there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, 
I guess what I was saying about when we moved here, it was still really print based when we, you know, in 1999 when Jackrabbits opened, like for the longest time we were probably, I, I'm pretty sure we were the, the longest running or the second wrong, longest running advertiser in the folio. Really? In other words, we had every single week we had an ad going for Jackrabbits for stuff outside Jackrabbits, like when we did Fat Cat and all these other places that we did shows at. That must have but, really ate into your overhead. <laughs> well, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it, it, but the thing is, that's how you advertised. Yeah. You had to advertise in print, flyers, and, and but now it's kind of like, and back then, say uh, things like this, like like when I was in San Diego, and even a little bit when when we moved here, if if I had a band book like. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of a, a smaller band that did really well, though, like like Minute Work, which is the '80s. But if I had a band like Minute Work, play, you know, booked, and you know, we we're cruising along, selling a few tickets here and there, but it wasn't blowing up, and then they won Grammy for Best New Artist. Literally the day after that Grammy, that Grammy win, the day after something like that happened for them, ticket sale, yeah, the show would sell out. Like we'd have. 100 tickets sold for a show and then literally we'd sell 700 tickets the next day wow next day and a half or whatever because it mattered now people go oh well this guy won a grammy i'm like yeah okay how many tickets he sell in, in uh valdosta last night? yeah <laughs> you know what i mean because the reality is is i want to know how many tickets you've sold in the past because i don't it's not that i don't know because you hear buzz and you you know you talk to people like if you're going you're freaking out a band and then all of a sudden I run him on the street and he's freaking out a band and their local band. I'm going to take, check them out immediately because two different people that, you know, in two different times is telling me about this band. So, right. But back then, literally, you know, a, a, if you had a cover on the folio when we first moved here, that would blow the show out of the water. I mean, it would sell it out. Now you could put, the band could be on the cover of the folio and this is, I, I hate saying, I shouldn't say folio only, Anyway, times you anything in print, it doesn't it doesn't matter. It doesn't anymore. matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Doesn't, yeah. It doesn't cause traction for the band as far as ticket sales. Um, this that this is why this time is so horrifying with this pandemic right now because everything is set up as an artist for you guys to make your your real living and your real money playing shows yeah, on the road for sure yeah playing live shows oh, and, we know. and there's a real reason <laughs> but there's a real reason for that because people are social and they're and that's why everyone's having so much problem with the pandemic and stuff because they don't want to be have to stay away from everybody yeah they totally. don't want that i mean people are social they want to be you know they want to be in the same room as the artists and that's why i got offered after silent treatment there was a time the singer left in that band blah blah, blah. but anyways it wasn't managed that band. I was helping out a few of the band members, new bands, stuff like that. But I got offered a job at a record label and I turned it down because I had started doing shows at that point. And I'm like, you know what? And the internet was happening, you know, slowly, but it was happening. And I'm just sitting there going, you know, this is like the 2000, maybe. No, this is like not 2000. It's like 89, maybe 90. But um, I was like, I didn't want to work for record label because I'm thinking record labels aren't going to exist eventually. Ugh, you know what I mean? Got, because yeah, if everyone foresight. get your music online, everyone's going to get it online eventually. That's, That's just, true. I mean, it's, quality, sound quality suffers, all kinds of shit suffers, but people are creatures of what's easy for them. Yeah. And so it's kind of thing where it's like, I always, and, and until the pandemic hit, I always went, I'm in the safest part of the business period. 
in other words if you're if you're good at at booking bands and promotion good at making things happen like that then you're going to have a career job security people are always yeah. going to keep going to shows but, like you said right. i liked what you but, said it's like people well, just want to be in the same room as the artist yeah, yeah that's that's why i always felt you know there's a couple bands like xtc the guys completely paralyzed by stage fright that's the reason they never toured hardly i mean they did play a few shows here and there but they didn't tour because he couldn't he just got out there and completely froze, froze. Yeah. and uh and when they first came out in the early 80s you know they could make a living without touring and right. now sell records and tell stuff. me a, yeah tell me a, somebody that could go out there and make a living just on the music it's very hard yeah you know? definitely man i mean there, there, there are. I feel like there's, there's a movement now where a lot of it's going back, kind of a little bit. You have a lot of internet sensations, people that are monetizing their YouTube videos and that's, yeah, that's streaming. the big money maker for sure. Yeah, and then you have like the Patreon and 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 you have like these kind of Zoom streaming things that are going on. People are paying for access to those shows. And I think there is this kind of um, like artists and labels uh, both have kind of figure out a way to 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 make some passive income off of off of music that that you know was kind of stolen from them from exactly. the downloading era yeah and then from streaming now as well all the labels are crushing it on the streams and spotify is crushing just yeah. the artists are not making any money there's well the thing is and the, and you're right the there are so many more artists though on spotify then there were artists putting out records when when there was not a Spotify. Yes, yeah. So you have to kind of look at it as like, okay, everybody and their mother, I could I could go record something and put it on Spotify. It'd be up there in a week or two. Right. But back before that existed, I couldn't go and I could go and record something, but it, if I couldn't get anyone to put it out, it's not going into Walmart. I could put it out myself, but it's not going to be out anywhere but the store I hand delivered it to because well, of distribution or whatever. So, so yeah, that, that that is that that was a problem of the time then, but there's but we have a similar problem now with with the streaming just existing a kind of different dynamic where you have it, like you can put your music out on Spotify, but it doesn't mean that's going to get heard by right. anybody. Exactly. So it's like what you have to do now, and what I've been doing a lot of research on with with this record that we're about to put out. And uh, is, is, is the playlist and figuring out, well, okay, well, labels literally have curated playlists that they make for their artists and they have millions of followers. So if you get on one of those playlists, yep. you get your plays up, you, you reach out to the Spotify playlist cura uh, curators, and then you can get your music on their playlist that these are the gatekeepers now yep. of uh, people that vouch for you and are passionate about what you're doing. So it's similar about how it worked yeah. in the day back then, but just the, the, the I guess the, uh, the, the mode of how you got it there is just a little different. Oh, yeah, I'd say a lot different. A lot in other different. words, only a lot different because it changes so much. Yeah. In other words, you know, when MySpace first came out, this was yeah. before Facebook had any traction or anything. Yeah. I mean, Corey Smith, that's how Corey Smith became, uh, you know, selling thousand, two thousand tickets. He, he made over a million dollars, I think, the year after he, he was Taylor on MySpace. Taylor Swift did the same thing off I mean, MySpace. It's, like, it's just like, you know, and now it's irrelevant my oh yeah yeah exactly. but i'm saying that it's it, just when you think this is the road i'm going think, on yeah. then somebody else does a tiktok video or whatever yeah. something that that just like you're like holy shit that's oh yeah that's why i know about that i know? can't believe tiktok has become one of the new mediums for music it's like every it's every artist is talking about like no one's talking about spotify anymore yeah. no one's talking about pandora everyone's talking about tiktok now as you a new can put medium your songs on tiktok yep i'm 
feel like an old man right now. That you post no, <laughs> but I don't. I don't have tic- I mean, I don't have I don't it. Have I, don't, I mean, I've watched TikTok videos, and I think my wife has it on her phone, so I've watched stuff, and she sent me stuff. But so, I don't ever cruise around TikTok, and I honestly still, I'm super old school in that. I still rely on on agents and just people that I've known for years and years and years on who they have coming up and who they're pushing. And I'll go listen to it myself and trust my ear. I actually wanted to ask you about that too. Um, do you find there's a man, there's a lot I want to get, I'm sorry. I no, ramble too. No, so no worries. I, I love where you're I'll miss the entire world series at this <laughs> rate. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I've I'm recorded just, it. I, I have a lot of these, <laughs> I have a lot of these questions on my mind, but you're getting to them. So I, I, I want to know if a band does have representation, does, do you think that that, does that pique your interest in the band a little bit more? Absolutely. Yeah, of course. He, again, it's, it's people you trust and there's a lot of agents I don't trust at all, literally at all. Like, like they could say something to me and I'll, and if somebody said, do you think he's telling the truth? I'll be like, probably not. I mean, there's so many agents that just lie. Yeah. And, and there's bands that do it too. I mean, believe me, I'm not going to say the band, but anyways, there was a band Ooh, that, let's get the dirt, that Jim. <laughs> there was a, there was, there's a reggae band. Here you go. I'll give you a little taste of it. There's Local. a reggae band. No, that, that I don't know if they're, they're not even from the Southeast, but, okay. but, they played a lot of shows for us and it seemed like every time they had a new agent, like, cause they went through several agents, they would say, yeah, they told me they sold it out. And I'm like, no, they played on a show with, um, with side reel and they sold it out and they were the opening act or something like that. And it would be like literally where I'm just going, these guys are constantly misrepresenting themselves on what they drew for I, real. So, and I would much rather a band tell me they draw, 20 and draw 50 then tell me to draw 100 and draw 50 so this is i don't want to be let down yeah, you know of course. I mean? and, it, and it's like and i understand believe me if you say i draw we we draw about 50 people and you came in and drew 30 or 40 but when a, it wouldn't i'd be like yeah man tough night or whatever you know but when a band will come in and say we'll draw we're gonna sell out your i've had this happen so many times we're gonna sell out your club and literally the night of the show they have seven people that came to see. <laughs> yeah. and i'm just like you know, I don't have time for that shit. So don't lie, I mean, kids. No, uh, it's just because people but, uh, are not dumb. Or just that, <laughs> well, the thing is, and the thing is, we talk. You know what I mean? It's like I talk to Jason all the time. I talk. I mean, especially when when we're actually working. You know, in the business. But I talk to. I have a friend in Orlando that I actually co-promote shows with occasionally. Um, you know, I still have all my friends in San Diego. We're, there's networks that were. There's basically independent networks only that that you know that live nation buyers and stuff like that that because live nation they have their own network like they have to do meetings every monday or whatever online and every buyer for live nation across the country is on that meeting and they're saying what they're doing and blah blah well all these little independent networks um a guy named dave poe basically used to be an agent has gathered everyone together in one spot and we can all go on this Slack channel, basically, and talk about what we what we're doing, what we have, who's coming through, how how did that show do for you? You know what I mean? It's really? just like sharing information because that's the only way we can compete. Kind of like a union, a little bit. Like yeah, a that's the only union. way we can compete against Live Nation and AG. Because believe me, hundreds of bands I could tell you about that got huge. That I did them five times. Twenty One Pilots, huge band. Yeah, I gave them the exact same offer. For the amphitheater, when they start blowing up, we did two shows at Jackrabbits, two shows at Freebird, and then the fifth show was going to be at St. Augustine Amphitheater. And it was I think it was AG, not Live Nation, but one of those two big ones. 
and they're the two biggest period in the country one of those two promoters basically stole them basically from us and put them at, at the amphitheater and gave them the exact same deal like i told the agent i said whatever they're giving you i'll give you exactly the same thing doesn't matter and he just kind of made up excuses and band oh, fucked me you know think I mean? it's because like, live nation because of the name oh live no it's yeah. because they sit there and they go well in the long run we're not going to be doing a show with tim at the stadium or at the arena they're okay. going to be doing it with live nation or ag but it hurts when they're going into a room that you already go into and they're basically stealing it early on you and it's kind of like i say stealing it but the reality is I'm the one that did them at Jackrabbit's first time. I did them at Jackrabbit's second time. It brought them up to the Freebird. They sold out the Freebird the fourth time. Fifth time st- still should have been my show. They weren't pissed when they left. They got paid. Everybody's happy. Yeah. You know, right on, bro, you know, kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, oh, shit, you mean the show that I really could have made like 15 grand, 20 grand on profit on one show? Just, you know, when you have a show like that, it means, okay, my bills are paid for a quarter or yeah. whatever, you know? That hurts, man, because you're not making big money at Jackrabbits or even Freebird, for that matter. You know, when you're anything under a thousand capacity, it's really hard to make a good living. And I'm not saying that you can't make a living. I'm just saying it's, you know, it's grind. It, it pays your bills. That's it. Do you? Yeah. Um, so, how much of that do you think was Twenty One Pilots of the people in the band versus like oh, the yeah. labels and it was their management? Their management. Yeah. It absolutely, is their management. Maybe some of the agency too, because it was. It's, it's, they were a CAA band, I believe. And um, mm-hmm. CAA, there's a whole South Park episode. I don't know if you guys watch South Park. Or yeah, that, of course. There's a South Park episode where Cartman starts his own agency, Super <laughs> Awesome Talent Agency. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. Right. I do remember that. Well, yeah. that, that episode, is they call out CAA. I mean, the, <laughs> the big agency that steals token from him is, is called CAA. They never say what it stands for. Right. But that's what CAA is one of the big three. Yeah, is that William when they started the Christian band? No, that's a different. That's one. a different yeah. one. Sorry, okay. William I'm Morris is the other one. Yeah, William Morris Endeavor and Paradigm now. Paradigm, okay, good for them. But everybody's pretty much like there's a shitload of new agencies starting up right now because all the agents, like, I would say, I don't know. There's I'm probably wrong on it, but at least feels like at least fifty percent of of the music agents at Paradigm aren't there now. Really? Because they got laid off. There's nothing to do for them. You know yeah, I mean? you can't keep. You can't be a live booking live bands and no bands be on tour, and there's no work. You know no what I mean? work. There's no income. You can't pay even if you're even if they get a base pay. You can't even afford to pay that anymore. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So there, so there's actually something that, something that I did want to go back to about the bands lying and the and the agents lying. There's got to be. Uh, so and and the all the agents getting bad information and then giving you the bad information that the bands gave them. Yeah, isn't there a way to vet that information? Because at the end of the night, something that I'm very 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 big on with bands that are coming up is like and something that nobody taught me until much later on was know your numbers by the end of the night, right? Yeah, like know how many people walk through the door. Yeah, know whatever, just whatever, just know those numbers, right? Because that's going to arm you. You can for- tell. I mean, the reality is is, is- very rarely do I have anyone challenge me on what our number. In other words, we have it, it nowadays. It's all way better than it used to be. I mean, it used to be literally hash marks. We do hash marks still at Jackrabbits, but we also run it through our ticketing system, so it's keeping like track of it. It's like what band are you here? Right, and they literally because, have like a hash mark. But and, I like that. That was all due. <laughs> that that started. I think I started in San Diego actually, but that started because we started doing it that way because we got tired of a band coming in and we knew that everybody was here to see this band 
and they just were lucky to play right before them. Like that reggae band you were talking about before. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, exactly. They were opening for Side Reel, and everyone knows Side Reel's selling out the Freebird on their own. And then you come in, you open for them, and you're going around telling people that you sold out the Freebird. It's like, no, right. you didn't. Right. You were the opening act on a sold-out show at the Freebird that was headlined by this band. So isn't there a way for, for agents to get that information before, rather than just taking the band's word for it? Yeah, no, if, I if mean, a man, if a good manager collects that information by the end of the night, then they know what the actual numbers are, and then they can report it to the ma- to, to the agent. Right. So the agent can c- represent you honestly. On, you know what I mean? Exactly. But and and there's there was this, there was a specific agent, and it's funny. It's kind of where it stopped, where he was saying, "Yeah, they told us this," and I said, "I said, look, uh, again, I'm, it's hard for me not to say the name of the agent, even." Yeah. But <laughs> I, I was like, "Look, man," I go. How, how long have we known each And I'm like, look, dude, the band's starting to draw. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to take away from the band. I go, but they have done this at least five times already from the actual band doing it to, to telling their agent bad information. And I said, you know, I go, but I'm not telling you that they're not worth anything because they're starting to draw. But you can't, you know, I can't sit there and give you a guarantee based on what they're telling you. Right. You know what I mean, because right. it's like I just have to go back and look at the numbers and go, hey, man, yeah, I know it was sold out. But I also know that because we asked at the door, everyone's here to see this band or whatever. I go, I tell you what, let, next time let's have let's have side reel or whoever play before them and, and see how the room clears. You know what I mean? It's like that's the worst thing in the world as a band. You know that. Yeah. The worst thing in the world <laughs> is, is for is for you to realize that oh, these people are here for someone else yeah. and they're all filtering out. And it's yeah. not a time of day thing. It's literally, if they were there to see, a, if they're there to see you, they'll wait till midnight, one o'clock. And I'm not an advocate of doing shows that late. But when I first started doing shows in San Diego, literally, we the headliners would go on at one right. yeah, in the morning. Much later, mar- much later. Yeah, I mean, I used to go see. I saw Jane's Addiction. I don't know how many times at Scream. And they never hit the stage till two in the morning. So, That's awesome. so I actually want to. I, I want to ask. Guns N' Roses that. never. Guns N' Roses is the same way when they're coming up. They never hit the stage on time. So I, I wanted to ask you about that. What What was it like coming coming up in the San Diego scene? Do you have any early mentors that kind of showed you the ropes? Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's this one guy. He uh, his name's Harlan Schiffman. He was Fine Line Entertainment, and uh, basically he was doing a lot. He did all the cool shows back in the day. He uh, was the first guy really to book Iguanas, which was a very short lit. You should look it up, though. It's a, it was a brilliant club, and, and it was in TJ, in Tijuana, Mexico. Okay. But in San Diego, it was 21 up for everything. Or it was if it was an all-ages show, there was no alcohol to be served anywhere. Oh, okay. no way. It was either all-ages, no alcohol, or 21 and up, you know. And so that hurt. That's hard on the scene. So, you know. San Diego's on the border of Mexico, so guess what? Some go people in Mexico border. said, yeah, you can drink at 18 in Mexico, so everyone would just go to shows down there. <laughs> no I mean, the opening weekend of that of that place was the Ramones and Jane's Addiction and somebody else. I mean, it was like three days of mayhem, and, and it was like – but the, and, the, and the thing about Iguanas is it's Mexico. Yeah. Totally different building codes, shit like that. You of know? course. You were – the, the way the club was designed was – it was it, you basically went up these long stairwell and got to the box office and then you walk and there's this big patio for smoking and you know drinking eating whatever and then you literally went down this tube like thing that was supposed to be the belly of the iguana and it literally went like sw- swirled all the way oh, in so cool. down to the floor but there was things sh- offshoots and there was all these tiers like 
literally three or four tiers and they all like if you were on the rail those tiers you could jump off and if you were close to the stage you could land on the stage i saw i saw a rollins band show one time there where where this guy jumped off the stage and on the way down he got from me to you pretty much with rollins but as he as he landed on the stage you know his arms were like this you know and he, he lands and his elbow caught Rollins in the back of the head because he was singing like, you know, oh and Rollins God. went down. And oh that was it. I, I like the band's looking around kind of like and and you see Henry get up and he's kind of staggering a little bit. And he's like, he, he, you know, he had to be seeing stars. And he was just like, all right, just to show you how badass of a band I have, we're going to start that song that we just stopped playing in the middle of we're going to start it with one bar of the of the where we left it off and then they just started playing again and it was just nuts and i mean it's like but you can't there's no way i look at that and go there's no way that the building codes in in our country would allow Maybe that that's what we should do we should start we should start opening up a couple of venues in tijuana yeah well that's we'll what do. i'm saying if we were on the border <laughs> yeah but it, it was it was an amazing i mean you could be again you could drink pretty much as a kid and watch shows and everything. And you didn't have to deal with San Diego. And the guy that um, owned this club was kind of your mentor. You, no, yeah. No, no, no. He booked the shows there. A okay. lot of the shows there, most of them. But, um, but he, he's, he basically taught me how to do shows. Like, uh, you know, we were, uh, he taught me how to do shows in general, not just there. He like, he had shows on the other side. Matter of fact, he did a lot of shows at the, at the club that I would eventually buy and turn into brick by brick. It was called the spirit club before that. And he used to do, he used to tell me, he goes, he goes, yeah, I got some bills coming up. I got to do a bad religion show soon because it, bad religion sold out every single show they ever yeah, did. I can imagine. And so it was kind of like, he just do a bad religion show and then, okay, now I can pay my bills. But, um, <laughs> but it was one of those things so where it was funny. funny, but it's one of those things where he taught me how to settle shows and how deals worked normally back then. And deals are different now. And when some, sometimes people go, well, how do you do your deals? I'm like, Man, now it's like, okay, I'll listen to what the band wants to do and see if, if it makes sense to me, then I'll do it. If it doesn't, a lot of times I'll pass and just go, eh, it's not worth it for me. You know? How were they done back then? Basically, if you say it was $500 guarantee, you know, you basically take the guarantee. I mean, I think Jason explained, I think I caught this part on Jason's, but explain it, you know, the guarantee, and then you take all the expenses and add them onto the guarantee. And then you, then you take that number and, take 15% on top of that that goes to you for your for your risk which I don't know anybody in any other business that would ever risk you know $10,000 of your money and but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to risk $10,000 and you're only gonna get 1500 back right you're gonna get your 10,000 back but you're only gonna make 1500 that's a bad bet fi- yeah. <laughs> 1500 for your for your risk no I know yeah. bullshit but that's the music business you know what I mean it's like that's you know so many people want to do it that like a negative you know, 300 money line people right just there. keep getting undercut <laughs> undercut you so, know? Yeah. so if you there was a time when when hansen came out you know i mean there was a lot of door deals in the 90s and stuff and that's when that kind of stuff started happening more where it wasn't really big guarantee but it was like a really big percentage of gross and that's when you have that's when you had the promoters and everybody going well shit all we can make is this much money we better fucking go back to the venue and say um yeah look all these people you're charging 15 dollars a park we want part of that Okay, because you know I mean? they don't come here if you know if you don't do your job. Yeah, if we if we get those people here, we should get paid for them. Yeah. 
So did so. Ba- did bands not take a, a, a cut of doors at, the, at before that point either? Yeah, door deals happened a lot, but it's kind of thing where not as much as they do now. Right. In other words, um, there's less risk like, involved. It seems like less guaranteed if you do that, right? D- yes and no. I mean, it's like it's definitely a, uh, not having a guarantee is a less of a risk if something bad were to happen where you couldn't as produce a promoter, the shows. not a band, yeah. Right. Um, Depends on the band, but, though, too. You but, know? Mo- I mean, Re- I still, I mean, Revolution, I'm not going to tell you their deal, but Revolution, oh. which is coming up, and I'm just saying. Yeah, of course, yeah, of course, yeah. They, I, I could hear their agent call me up, what the fuck are you saying <laughs> about? I, I totally get but, it, um, yeah. But they do do door deal, period. And 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 it's one of those things where if, you're, if your band's confident, yeah. you're, you're almost always going to make a better you're going to make a better payday on a door deal every day of the week sure than you will on a guarantee deal because you know if i'm having to guarantee that money i want to get my guaranteed back i want to get paid i want to not have any expenses i want to make more you know what i mean there's it's just one of those things where it's like i'm taking all this risk i need to make more money so even if so, so even if you do a guarantee plus percentage of the door it still works out better if if it's a band that knows you're gonna like say sell out the amphitheater right. it still works better to take 100 percent of the door or yeah, they don't. Or get 100%. not not hundred percent. Sorry, <laughs> not not hundred. The deals haven't got that bad. But what I was gonna <laughs> say though is Hanson f- fucked everything up for everybody because that that little band was getting ninety seven percent of the gate. Jesus, when, when at the height of of the band when Mbop or whatever was huge, but they were getting ninety. I remember when I heard that I was just like ninety seven percent, and it was like Live Nation. I don't know what they're called then, but it was. It was one of the huge promoters that gave them the whole tour, 97% of the gate. Well, of course, they've got all these other backdoor deals with every single venue that they're getting kickbacks on. So, yeah. You know, that's wild. I just really like that you said that Hanson fucked everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's the band that, that did the 97% door deal. And I was just like, so, so if, 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 if I'm only a big promoter could do that too. Like yeah. I couldn't sit there, you know, if revolution started going, we want 97% of the gate deal with it figure it out i'll be like i can't figure it out because i don't have enough shows if you're giving me the whole tour at 97 percent, let me get on the phone let me start talking to all these venues saying hey man i can bring you this i can bring you the same reasons and then you know maybe i can cut enough deals you know that are off the show books in other words they're not bad they're not illegal there's not anything ethical about them because it's it's a deal that i'm cutting with the venue yeah it's not a deal that has anything to do with the band yeah obviously they're counting on the band you know obviously i have to produce the show but that's that's where it gets and it's it gets really hairy i mean ticket fees all that kind of yeah. stuff man bands are a lot of big bands are getting pieces of the ticket fees right now and that's kind of like heard. it really pisses people like me off because i'm like what... you don't understand man it's like there's plenty of shows where I break even or lose money that if I didn't have a ticket fee um, rebate or anything like that, if I didn't have um, or if I didn't get part of the bar or if I, you know what I mean? Obviously, Jack Rouse, my wife owns, and so I get part of the bar no matter what. But but it's like, you know, if you don't have a good enough deal with the venue and the band starts cutting into not just they're taking you know, a percentage of the ticket, but they're taking this and that, and the, you know what I mean? Then all of a sudden you're kind of like, I don't even know why I'm here. You yeah, they're I mean? eating it's into like, all your your. Yeah. So so 
Yeah, Jason was talking about that, when, like, especially in the arena shows and the bigger venues where bands are getting a kickback on the ticket fee, or the ticket yeah. fees and that kind of thing. I'm sorry to interrupt. I don't really understand what you mean by this, by this ticket fee rebate thing. Um, okay, you know how everyone gets pissed off at Ticketmaster and it's like They're the devil, it's a $5 yeah. ticket, but it's really a $15 ticket? Right, right. Now, I don't have any shows that do that. Now, granted, though, I do have shows that the way my ticketing system well, not mine, but the way the ticketing system I use for my shows, unless I'm in a room like the amphitheater, I have to use Ticketmaster because they're signed with the venue is signed with Ticketmaster. Yeah, they have an exclusive with Ticketmaster. The venue is <laughs> the okay, venue okay, is okay, right. right, not the band. Um, but like, you know, like I can use eTix at 1904 when right. he shows there because Jason doesn't, even though he's with Eventbrite, uh, he's with Eventbrite now, which was Ticketfly. But oh, I but Ticketfly got swallowed up by Eventbrite, which if I I would have bailed out immediately from from that as soon as I heard that because Eventbrite was was terrible when it, just as Eventbrite. But anyways, really? like I like Rory, Rory, you know Rory, the promoter Rory yeah. from For Your Friends. Yeah. He um <clears throat> he was with Ticketfly, and that whole thing happened where where they got hacked and nobody could sell any tickets and their websites were all down and blah oh, blah. Yeah, blah. yeah, yeah. It I was horrible. That. Um. But he basically got out of his deal with Ticketfly at that point and went with Etix, which is who we are with. And it's been great. But I can bring it, like, a lot of shows I can do. But if it's a Ticketmaster venue, like <clears throat> like the, uh, like, Pontevedra Concert Hall or the Amphitheater, I have to use what they use. So Right. So but you were saying, like, uh, for the, the ticket rebate and everything like that, that 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 was going to you or is the promoter or the venue no it, it, okay say it's say it's uh like it's i think for a ten dollar ticket if you bought it online at jackrabbits for a ten dollar ticket i think you're paying <clears throat> somewhere around 13 to 14 dollars okay with fees now most a good close to two dollars of that fee of the three or four dollars goes to the taking company right <laughs> because they have to uh I mean, they got to make money too. I mean, it's like it's a big ass, you know. When they set that whole thing up, you know what I mean? Sure, it they costs got money. They have a lot of employees, <clears throat> but there's also usually a dollar of it or something that'll get go back to the re, you know, back to the promoter to, because as you're a rebate because because you're uh, partnering with them. Right, we're doing business. I never yeah. knew that. I always thought that Ticketmaster was just like fuck you. I'm going to take now, all of this money. Just to let you know, there I I've had benefit shows. I've had other shows where I've waived mine. Sure. My side. In other words, that way, those are the ones where you see it's only like a dollar eighty or two twenty on the commission. Uh, that hundred percent is going to the ticket company. No, but I, I like knowing. I like <coughs> knowing that that it's not going straight to just some corporation. It's actually going to the venue. Well, I never knew that. But what happens though with some things? And correct me if I'm wrong, Tim. But like Ticketmaster and other services, or maybe it's a promotion companies. I can't remember exactly which one it is. But they keep the data though that that comes through those like for instance like if you if you buy a ticket through Ticketmaster right and you're going to let's say you're buying a ticket that's like a bigger act like let's say Revolution okay mm -hmm. and then you put put in all your information your email your age your gender all that stuff and then you go to see Revolution uh, Ticketmaster or whichever, whatever they keep that information so Revolution doesn't actually get access to their demographic in that area um <clears throat> not true really anymore because <coughs> sorry man no but the uh i'm not sick i yeah, don't I have the covid say, swear like, to god that's all right bob <laughs> but uh 
But uh, the, um, I mean, there's a lot of contracts now that say that they that they want they want access to all the data that we have on it. In other words, they want like if it's all the people that bought online. Well, of course, you have their name and you have their email address. They want that information. They act as and and. And they won't, is, they is won't it, give that away. Is this a new uh, yeah, thing? Yeah, it's happening more and more. I was going to say. It's one of those yeah. things where we'll, we generally don't care. We're just like, yeah, we'll give it to you as long as the ticket <laughs> company's cool with it. Yeah. <laughs> the ticket companies aren't cool with it, though, because they want to they, – Well, yeah, because the thing is, ultimately, it's about getting the word out for that band. Mm-hmm. And if the band starts selling their tickets direct, yep. then there's no, then ticket companies don't make money. Exactly. But the reality is, is – and, you know – is most bands and this is i'm trying to make this not come out wrong but can't don't have their shit together enough to do all that stuff right and that's the reason those businesses exist right that there's no one fighting to uh, be like hey we deserve these uh uh contacts and everything like that well no, i'm talking about just ticketing and stuff yeah. you know i mean just setting you up you could sell own. your own ticketing you know you, anyone can sell up their own ticketing nowadays but yeah. but it's like most bands won't do it though. That's kind of what you. It's not even just. It's it's, yeah. Most won't do it, but won't do it well either. Right. You know? So that's why the ticketing companies exist, and then the data that they get, they get, they keep the data. They as don't leverage. want you to have it's, it's leverage. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. So like, why don't we just start up our own ticketing company that's free, and then we would just get all, all your data to it, and then we just that's, destroy Ticketmaster. That's actually what Andrew. Andrew that's actually what Andrew happen, Schultz though. is he's, talking he's like, about. I, he's like, I don't know how to are are you familiar with Andrew Schultz, a comedian? He's from uh-huh. New York. Okay. Um, anyways, he was talking about that. He was like, uh, this is why he's been so successful with his careers. He's actually just taken on his, like this all, he handles all this stuff in-house now. So he's like, he's like, I found out that this is what was happening with the ticketing companies is that they were keeping the data, but I need that data so right, I know, yeah. so I can know so you can how direct to market. Promote. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So you can send an email out next time you're in town and go, hey guys, I'm in town. Exactly. That's why <laughs> you we enjoyed the show. Lists. That's why we get email lists. But it's like, if you, if this has already been done, then it's like, let, let me just have the data. But then that makes them irrelevant. So do you they don't also want you to think have the that data. they do that and keep that information private because like, it's private, though. <laughs> and that no, maybe that, people don't want that, that out. That, that's not true. You though. can talk to Zuckerberg about that shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's actually, I agree. It's actually not being kept. The, 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 it's just like it's, it's to the no highest bidder. There's no such thing bitter. as privacy. So, yeah, they're, exactly. they're not, they're not, they're not, it's not out of goodwill. No. They're just doing like, we're just leveraged like who wants it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's that all it sense. is, you know. Well, they sell their list to all kinds of people. Exactly. I mean, the thing is, if we start talking about um, – uh, trying to think of something that we could talk about that all, all of a sudden start popping up on window, you know, my Facebook feed will pop up with all these advertisements on it. Oh you yeah. I mean, you don't even have to type it in your computer anymore. I'm telling you, man, they're listening. To oh everything. yeah, totally. Totally. Well, like, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I bought my friend, uh, my old roommate, like a, a Pittsburgh pirates, uh, hat for Christmas. Now you're a big Pittsburgh. Fan. I'm a huge pirates fan. Now yeah, all of a sudden, all according to Google, Google, but whatever. Um, so I actually had uh, wanted to bring it back just a little bit. Um, was there any uh, going back to like the, like uh, early mentors and stuff like that? Did you was there any like really hard lessons that you learned when you first started? Like maybe giving a, extending too much of like a goodwill towards a band or a club or whatever. Just any hard lessons that you learned early on? Um, <clears throat> sort of. I mean, not. I mean, there's there's a venue in, that doesn't exist now, so you probably can guess which one it is. But um, 
that <laughs> I insisted on doing our ticketing at only because I was just like, you know, if 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 he if this person collects my money, one night he's gonna go. Oh man, let me, I, I don't have enough to pay this or that tonight. Let me let me get your ticket of money to you later, kind of thing, you know. And you just you just you know if if I'm having to pay everything out, then I should make I should at least have control of the income too. Yeah. And so, you know, that's it's you got to watch your money. Period. Yeah. You know, is what it boils down to. Um, as far as things that I remember, I mean it's scary to do shows in Tijuana if you don't have the right connections. I, I think in Tijuana might I, be a nice place to go do a show. I, <laughs> I sat in a, in a settlement that I wasn't a couple different stories off the settlement. It was for the band tool. You know, you know tool. Is, never right? heard of them. Okay. Anyways, but, um, <clears throat> never heard of those guys, but, um, anyways, it was tool and they were playing iguanas. I think they were playing two nights. They were playing in Tijuana. Yeah. Yeah. The, this place held like 1200, 1500 people. That's amazing. But, um, but, um Anyways, they uh, at settlement, there was it was it was a it was my friend Harlan that Fine Line Entertainment. He co-proed it with Golden Voice, which ended up being AG eventually. But Golden Voice, Paul Tillett, he's the guy that does um, what's the big one out in the desert? Oh, uh, Burning uh, Man. Burning Man. No, the other one. The, the oh, Coachella? Coachella. Coachella. He's the one that started Coachella and bought all that land out there and everything. Anyways, um, this was. I think his partner was Rick, I believe, at the time. But I think Rick was already in jail for for massive amounts of marijuana trafficking. Nice. But anyways, that's how Golden Voice, like that's how Paul. I mean, everything got shifted to Paul because he was the partner with this guy, and you know, he didn't get busted for all that stuff. So, anyways, but we were at we were at the settlement, and so it was me, Harlan, a couple different representatives of the band, um, and a couple people from from golden voice i believe anyways it's like seven of us and six out of the seven of us were left-handed i mean that was weird i mean it's out of left field you're just kind of like oh, that's weird but then it's supposedly you know left-handed people are you know supposedly artistic i'm not artistic to save my fucking life period <laughs> but i recognize good art apparently but um also what happened was at the end of that the settlement had already happened everything settled the band was gone the band's reps were gone uh, Paul, I don't even think Paul was there for settlement. I think he already left to go across the border and left it with Harlan. Anyways, um, as near as I remember, it was me, Harlan, and like two or three other people. And there was uh, these federalities came in, you know, the cops, you know. And they came in and, no, 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 you can't leave yet. You got to pay tax. And basically, it was some bullshit made-up yeah, tax. Bullshit, yeah. And he—I remember him whipping. I mean, literally, he paid him like three thousand dollars. Good his lord! Phone, just right there. And he's just like, "Cost of doing business down here sometimes." And he goes, "He goes, did I want to give that to him? No, but you know, we're driving back. Yes, but I didn't want to end up in jail and stuff either. You know, <laughs> in like, a Mexican jail, just buried in the desert. In a Mexican jail. Well, yeah. it'd be more just in the Mexican jail until he came up with the money to get you out. Jesus. But the thing is, it, it was nuts because, like. To do shows at Iguanas, like you had, the bands had to meet you at the San Ysidro McDonald's parking lot, which is on San Diego side, and then everyone had to go in a caravan across the border together. Wait, wait because, but like at the customs, right? Yeah, okay. would, to, to get through customs without okay. hassle. Oh, okay, okay. They, all <laughs> they don't once. care. Most of the time, this is the thing too. We'd have to tell the bands, "All right, I don't give a shit what kind of drugs you do, but 
but do them all. Bring only what you can do while you're there. Yeah, don't try to get Don't back think in. you're bringing any back. That's good advice. Because there's no fucking way you're going to get across that border. You heard it here first, kids. But <laughs> seriously, it was like, if you have any contraband, you better not have it on the way back. That's yeah. when you're going to have problems. And, you know, <laughs> I, anyways, but it's one of those things where it's like you had to meet on, on the United States side and then everyone went over in a caravan and Harlan gave me a card a long time ago because I worked with him on a lot of shows. I mean, all he did was really just help out, but it was his show still, but he gave me a, a, a card that had some guy's name on it. For, and he goes, if federalities ever pull you over, are you ever get in any situation? Just give him this card. Luckily, I never got in a situation like that. But I did find out later that the, the card basically was one of the super high up government officials in all of Mexico. And it was like all they, you know, he goes, it's like you're get out of jail free. Wow. Like, they will like not a literal get out of jail free card. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's so wild, so, man. It was just. It, I've always wanted to go to Tijuana. I just. I don't know why, just because it's always like in movies and as everything a, like as that. As under twenty one, everyone wants to go, but once once you're older, you don't want. You don't want to go. Okay, it seems like that's the place to go when you're you know seventeen in, uh, uh, in San Diego. Yeah, as a kid. yeah, it's uh, awful as far as like <laughs> smells and it's like. <laughs> okay. Ha- um, some of the shows there. Don't go to the donkey show. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, you can never so, forget that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Um, Did so you go to a donkey show? I didn't. It sounds like you went to a donkey <laughs> telling you, show, tell, Tim. Not telling you anything. <laughs> Those will be buried. Um, Stays in Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> so how connected, because what, San Diego is like like two hours south of L.A.? Yeah, two, two and a half hours. Yeah. So how connected were you guys to that scene? Um, that's what that's what was great about San Diego is like it, it was everything L.A., was without having to be L.A. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of bands would, would that were from San Diego would go to L.A. to make it, quote-unquote, because that's where the industry was, you know, and I get it. <clears throat> but a lot of bands stayed in San... Like, Stone Temple Pilots, you know, everyone... They, they for the first record, claimed they were from San Diego. Well, yeah, Dean and Robert... Well, mainly Robert, but lived in San Diego for a little while and was good friends with a friend of mine that was front band for a local band there and stuff so yeah they were kind of from san diego, but they weren't from san diego at all and and they got it was hilarious because it was a big there's a thing called the san diego music awards there that a friend of mine does or has done for years and years i think i think they're probably on the 30th one now or something like that but um he uh you know apparently they just didn't kind of really he wasn't tied in enough or whatever to realize that the outrage that would happen but basically stone Temple pots got nominated for like best local band or something like that oh, no. and the local scene lost their shit about it <laughs> because they were just like they don't even fuck up they're not even living here nobody's from here you know it's yeah like, and i'm like yeah it's it was a mistake that somebody fucked up and, but but yeah so it's kind of like funny because san diego for a little while it was all the record labels everybody was in san diego going it's next seattle it's next seattle no one in san diego thought it was next seattle but you know they had to find a new seattle and that's San Diego is what they decided. But but so a lot of bands got like, you know, like a lot of bands cashed in that never you never heard their names outside of San Diego. But they made some big money deals with major record labels. And then really, you know, one record and gone. So there was a there was an interesting speaking of the Seattle scene. 
Um, I saw the podcast or the interview that you did with Nico at the beginning of the, the quarantine mm-hmm. thing, and there was something you talked about that I thought uh, I would have never, ever, ever even thought about. But you talked about Eddie Vedder mm-hmm. and Pearl Jam when they were first getting started, and you were booking a club in San Diego. Yep. And it was right before their, their single had come out, and then you booked them at the smaller club, maybe the size of Rain Dogs or maybe yeah, a little was, bigger. Yeah, that's the club that, that he – he was a part of like I was brought in I was booking this place called Soma which by the way is the first place I actually got paid to book a band in and I got five dollars per band that I booked for this guy this wow. owner of this it was fuck all, you money right there it was it, it was all ages it was all ages club no alcohol and this guy Lynn goes you know all these bands you're friends with them blah blah he goes, he goes why don't you book the basement you know every weekend four bands a night and I'll give you five bucks per band. I'm like, okay. Don't spend it all in one place, kid. So I was getting <laughs> 20 bucks a night, you know. That's like 40 cheeseburgers. <clears throat> so you but, you had talked about. But, but basically with Eddie, Eddie, Eddie and my friend Greg and uh, Beth, which is Eddie's girlfriend at the time, became his wife and now is his ex-wife and blah, blah. But anyways, um, her and a friend of mine named Eric and everybody was like college age or, you know, not knowing what the fuck they're doing, you know, with their life kind of stuff. Right. Anyways, and Eddie, right around the same time, Beth got a job at Virgin Records, and so she was moving to L.A. Eddie joined a band called Indian Summer. See, a lot of people don't realize it didn't go bad radio to Pearl Jam for him. He had a band in between called Indian Summer that was very short-lived, obviously. But anyways, he was doing Indian Summer and still living probably with Beth. (laughs) And so they were out of the club that it was called red tape. They were out of this club and um, Eric was doing a lot of show work, like gig work and stuff. And, and Brian, Brian Koontz, I think lined him up with some bands where he ended up touring a little bit and stuff like that. And then my friend Greg was good friend of mine. He was the last one of that group that did this club called red tape and he didn't want to see it die, but he also didn't. He also was like, I can't do all this on my own. So he goes, will you come in and, you know, book bands and just help me produce the club every week? And it was a Friday, it was a Saturday night club every Saturday once a week. And we go in, it was basically a restaurant. And so we go in and literally it was all wooden. It was a seafood restaurant. It looked like a seafood restaurant. Like the Krusty Krab or something. It looked so lame. Yeah, (laughs) it looked so lame. So we literally would take, and obviously the fire marshal didn't come see us ever because we take black visqueen sheets of it and cover everything up that was brown and wood. And it looked like a ship, you know? We just covered oh it all in Visqueen. And sometimes we'd spray stuff, you know, on it with neon paint and put a black light on it or whatever. But we literally covered this club in black Visqueen and, and, and did, you know, there was a little room down at the bottom that was a little buffet room, quote unquote. But we, t- we put a stage up in front of the fireplace that was like probably, the stage probably was about as big as from this couch to that. I mean, it could not have been bigger than eight by 10 at the so most. Were Pearl Jam playing? Yeah, yeah. No and uh, <laughs> and I got stories about that night too. It's hilarious. But um, they basically, you know, you had that little room, which probably 100 people could jam in there at the most. And then and then you had a hallway and then it went, and then there was a stairwell and it went upstairs and there was a bigger room that we had like dance, like DJs and dancing and stuff and it was really cool. And there was a bar up there and everything. And then underneath the stairs, there was a couple pool tables down below. So it was just really cool vibe. Trent Reznor was there one night. We didn't even know it. Like, really? he was there all night, and we were standing next to the door. And I looked at 
it wasn't Mindy who was doing the door back then. I think it was Denise. I think we looked at each other. I go, is that Trent Reznor just left? And she's like, I think so. And I'm like, like holy shit. Trent Reznor was, was just lurking in the shadows watching everything. Sounds you know? about like, right. But we probably <laughs> played his music like crazy. I mean, no, we played. That's all we played back then was industrial for the most part. But, um, but yeah, Pearl Jam played on that tiny little stage. And Eddie had walked in like he was surfing all day. And he walks in and he's like, wow, this is a lot smaller than I remember it. And I'm like, it's the same size, Eddie. I said, just you guys are playing bigger and bigger rooms. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's going to be awesome. He goes, I got some friends I got to get in, though, right? And I'm like, no problem. We're already sold out. Whatever. You, you just come out and pick them out of the line or whatever, and I'll bring them in, whatever, and blah, blah, So, But, yeah, that was that was weird. Well, so <laughs> so what, what you told Nico was that he came back to you um, after the single. It was before the single was released, and their single had come out. They sold out the show, and then all of a sudden it was like, well, we might want to play a theater that's in town. And you told them the importance of selling out a room versus playing a theater in a yeah. market. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is, I, I didn't tell him. It was just one of those things where his agent and stuff, everybody, the agent management was pushing hard for us to move it to the Bacchanal, okay. which was, was um, I want to say, 400 capacity. And we were selling out at 200, even though only 100 probably could fit in that room. But... We'd sell 200 tickets. We got to talk about the overselling aspect well, in a minute. Well, there's plenty of shows at everywhere. You know, if you have a patio, I'm not going to talk about names, <laughs> but if you have a patio that you can overflow into, you can sell the shit out of that show. Oh, I'm And well everyone's aware. on their own as far as they get to see the band or not. Yep. And that's what happens all the time. Yep. It, I mean, the thing is, think about it. Freebird, I don't know, to this day, I don't know how Judy got her capacity that high, but the Freebird legal capacity was 690. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm telling you, 690 people was not going to see that stage that night. Oh, yeah. no, not at all. Definitely because not. if you're not on the rail or downstairs, you're yeah. not going to see the stage. You're not going to see anything. I, right. I just love hanging out on the balcony. That was my favorite yeah, part about that, that place. Is, but I'm saying, though, that it's like she legally could sell 690, 700. There's plenty of places that, like I said, you have overflow and, and you know, then everybody decides when the headliner comes on, they all got to be in there. Because that's yeah, the same now we got a problem. Yeah, yeah. Now there's a problem. So it's yeah. always kind of, I don't what we're talking about. Well, no, so, so, <laughs> so it's, no, no worries. Uh, so the importance of playing in a market and selling out a show in a smaller room rather than just saying you play yeah. the theater at half cap. I called Eddie and, and I, I said, hey, man, I go, I go. I go, the show's pretty much sold out already, and everyone's pushing for us to move to the Bacchanal. Like, and he, he actually worked at the Bacchanal, like volunteering, doing tech work there right before he went up to L.A. and joined Indian Summer. But, you know, when Bad Radio was kind of falling apart, he, was, he would just go in tech. And that's how he ended up meeting the Pearl Jam guys was because of Jack Irons, which was in a band called Eleven. And he, he uh, met Jack Irons up in L.A., when he was, he he was, he was you know working as a hand basically at the Bacchanal, and he um. Uh, who was it? Joe Strummer, The Clash, came through. On, it wasn't The Clash, and it wasn't you know, it was just Joe Strummer and whatever band he had at that time right. was playing clubs. Anyways, so he came through, and and Eddie's obviously a huge Clash fan. And he's like, you know, so he was like, yeah, man. And Joe's like, yeah, you're cool, man. You want to be my guitar tech for the rest of the road? You know, and so Eddie just went with him. I mean, because he had a security job or whatever. It's the job that 
it's a great kind of job where you can just go. You know what I mean? You, you, you know, if you lose a job, you lose a job. Pick up the next job, you know? It's good for somebody like that to be able to do that. But anyways. Yeah. So he went up to L.A. and he ended up meeting Jack Irons at a show and blah, blah. You know what I mean? And Jack's like, hey, this band Mother Love Bone, their singer just died, blah, blah. So that's how that happened. I totally went off on a tangent there. That's okay. But we were talking. About, I called up Eddie. I said, look, man. I said, <laughs> I said, look, man. I out where we turn people away at red tape yet and i go you know now i know that you guys can do do a lot more tickets but wouldn't it just be great to come back to the club that you were a part of starting and and sell it out and he's like yeah 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 i'll tell him we, we're just gonna stay at red tape and do the show there and i'm like okay and that's why i thought it was so fucking funny when he walked in and he goes this is a lot smaller than i remember I'm like it's the same size man you just play you're, you're big time now. now man it's like and i didn't say that to him because that would be the wrong i mean sure one of the guys that worked for us at red tape helped help and decorate when pearl jam later on played iguanas we were down there and i was talking to eddie on the floor or something and, and he was there i'm not gonna say his name he was there and he's like he's like you always want to be a rock star and eddie just looked at him like totally lost it didn't get mad at him just said no i didn't he's like because he really never yeah i never heard him say i want to be a rock he wanted to make a living doing music of yeah. course but i don't think he ever really bought that that he was going to sign on for that kind of rock stardom that he has i think that most successful people that have the longevity of someone like eddie vetter in their career i think most people are just kind of like doing it for the right reasons that are in the, that, that have the longevity yeah. versus people that are just getting in it for the fame and the money it's like well if that's what you're doing then your career is going to kind of expose that yeah. a little bit you yeah. know and then you won't have a long career explain Kanye west uh, <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know. If that's what his intention I, was from the get go. I think he may, maybe. I think Kanye West is just a sad example of, of mental illness in the country. Yeah, so. yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Sorry for changing the subject. No, it's okay. But, yeah, I, but do I was thinking about that because of the. Did you, did you hear the story about the Bonnaroo uh, about Kanye West? It was like, I'm not going to play this stage right now. This isn't good enough for me. I want to play this different stage. But Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam decided to play sure. the, sta- the slot that Kanye West was going to do and headline it and played a three-hour set. It yeah. was incredible. Yeah. It doesn't surprise I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I never heard the story, but I totally believe it. You know what I mean? Um, sounds right. Yeah, yeah I mean, but th- that just kind of goes to show, like, you know, the kind of person that he is and the success that he's had and why yeah. it's just – I feel like most people that get that successful in this industry have that mindset where it's like, I don't care about the fame and, for- and fortune so much. I like to make a good living, yeah. but really I just want to play music. You and, know? And, the, and what I didn't – if I did say this in the other interview, I wasn't meaning to say, like, I told him to do this. But Pearl Jam early on you know, would underplay purposely. You know, they, okay, we can, how many tickets do they think we for sure can sell in this market? A thousand? Okay. Well, oh, there's an 800 capacity room. Let's do that one. That's got to be a very <clears> They smart. wanted to leave a little bit on the table every time because the reality is, is if you didn't get to see them last time, you got to see them the next time, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're a fan. So it's kind of thing where. The scarcity. It's thing. not you don't want people to see you. You just want it to be a thing when you when you plan. You know well, what I mean? and yeah. the thing is. It's you can never get tickets for those guys. Well, you can, but it's just kind of like you got to really want to get tickets. You got to. It's not. You don't want people going. Yeah, I got this ticket for the Jaguars. You want to go? No, not really. I would, yeah. If you're putting crap on the field, you know. And I know I'm switching to Jaguars, but no, that's right. But it's like if Pearl Jam, you know, if they weren't not having success, like it's it's almost the point right now. 
there's certain acts and I kind of call it the social distortion line that I don't think social distortion will ever draw less than a thousand people ever again. I just think that they have enough success. They can not put out anything and just go and tour and they'll always have at least a thousand fans. That's what in I'm a banking market. on. Yeah. But that's, that's a making, that's a that's career. It, yeah, that's a that's real career. <clears throat> now, um, sorry, go ahead. I mean, interrupt you. Go ahead. No, that's fine. I'm just saying that I didn't tell them that, Oh, you guys should always underplay, but they did. You know what I mean? They did underplay. They underplayed when they played Iguanas. They underplayed when they played Winters, which Winters was the building that Red Tape was in. That's why I sometimes say that. And don't gotcha. But they underplayed when they played Red Tape. Then they underplayed. They did play a They played a Bacchanal show. What's funny is they played a show at the Bacchanal before they played our show at Red Tape. But it was with, um, it was, they were at Mookie Blaylock at the time. It was before they changed the name to Pearl Jam. And they were opening for Alice in Chains. Wow. No big deal. And, but but I'm saying, you know, the show was sold out and everything, and we went to the show and stuff and hung out, but it was kind of thing where it's like, you know, they were, they were, this was the first headlining show. It was off the single Alive and stuff, so, you know. But then they went and played Iguanas. That's an underplay at the time for them because the record had sold millions of copies at that point. And then I think the next time they played the Starlight, which it was, I think it was a Starlight, but anyways, and that's only like 3,000. I mean, they could have been playing arenas at that point. Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty interesting perspective that I wouldn't have really thought about. It's like purposely underselling your shows. When they were underselling it, were they jacking up the ticket prices too? Or no? No. So, I, I like that, that, But that's man. the thing. That's it's like one some of those Willy things. Wonka shit. I like that a lot. <laughs> but it's one of those things where I sit there and go, I mean, they were. that's the reason they were fighting with Ticketmaster so much because they, they didn't like the fact their ticket prices were that high. And, of course, they could have lowered them and the Ticketmaster would still make all their money off yeah. their ridiculous high fees but you know i mean it's kind of thing where it's like the, it it's one of those things where i don't think generally speaking he thinks that uh you know i don't think he thinks he has too much money but i also think he doesn't he definitely doesn't think he doesn't have enough money you know what i mean he's like sitting there going i'm sure has a lot of people have that kind of success just sit there some days and go what the fuck happened? Yeah. Look at this. You know, this is insane. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I I'm ju- just playing my songs. And I'm, I, you know, and I, and I get to do all this extra stuff that I never would have, you know, you get to meet all your heroes. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, totally. You get totally. to work with them literally, you know, you, I mean, it's like everybody he's wanted to work with. He's worked with. Totally. I mean, he literally was a rigger on, on a show with, I think it was the who, or it might have been Pink Floyd, but it was either Who or Pink Floyd at Jack Murphy Stadium. And this was way before, you know, when he was in Bad Radio, when he was local band and stuff. And he was a rigger there. It's like he he did <clears throat> what I say. I tell people all the time. I go, look, man, if you want to, if you ask me who the hardest working musician I've ever been around, he probably is it. Because he would put himself in places that he knew that there was a chance to, to get to meet somebody that could help him necessarily you yeah know? and i'm not talking business people i'm talking about artists and stuff and you know just tell him that the kind of fan he is and stuff like that it's just he's a good guy so. um how much of that do you or how much do you think was kind of going on on the on like maybe even not from his perspective but the management and and uh agent side of it where it was like we could play a bigger room but our costs like our overhead might go up depending so like it like the, the difference between like 
this is, might be a, like a big gap, but like when you put on a show at Jackrabbits versus putting on a show at St. Augustine Amphitheater, yeah. your overhead has got to be significantly higher. <laughs> at, at, yeah, like uh, 100 so, times maybe. Yeah, so how much of that from the business uh, side do you think uh, Pearl Jam was getting saying, hey, man, like, look, at, if we sell the tickets at this price at this venue, it has you know this much more capacity. It's going to increase our overhead by this much, and you might not walk away. You actually might walk away with less money playing at the bigger yeah, venue. But I don't think that ever I, – I really don't think that ever crossed their mind because they, they weren't it's, – it's different than being in a band like um, Skrillex or – I mean, that's not even a band, but something like that. In other words, where your your production it has to be huge. Yeah, they weren't YouTube. Even the even when they were playing to amounts of people like YouTube play to, they never were like trying to make like to this day. It's a rock. They're like the Stones or something. Yeah, so it's totally. a rock and roll band. Do they have a few things for show? Maybe, but most of the time, Pearl Jam's just Pearl Jam up there. Same band that was playing to clubs is still playing with a few extra members, a keyboard player, stuff that they didn't have before, but. You don't see giant pyro. You don't see laser shows. You don't. I mean, it's just that's not what they're about, as far as I've seen and I could see. So I'm sitting here going, I don't think money ever crossed their mind. I think it was truly all, you know, if we play, if we underplay a little bit, then our shows would be sold out. And what's better than having a sold out show? You know what I mean? It's like that's that's what you want. You want the place to be full there's so many things that you said that i just want to put on a bumper sticker like what's better than a sold out show for no, sure can nothing sell a fucking and i'm not even i'm not sure. even the freaking <laughs> artist but I've, I've said this before to people in interviews okay and I, i'm not even an artist but i sit there and go when i would have a sold out show at freebird and i go up in that little crow's nest window right up there above the stage and see these people losing their minds and stuff and you know it made me feel like like holy shit i i had a part of this yeah, now, I'm not the. They don't give a fuck. They don't even know who the hell I am. So it's like, okay, that's fine. But when you hear that roar of a crowd, where it's like deaf, where it's probably hearing damage just from the crowd noise, that's the kind of show I sit there and go, yeah, man, that's no wonder you know, no wonder you guys love playing sometimes. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, I mean, who wouldn't love that? That's cool. For who the wouldn't other- love hearing people just love what you're doing yeah it's yeah. cool from the other side of things that you're you're getting that like same uh i guess emotion that we yeah, get like playing it that you do and they're like, not I even put this together yeah but they are loving. i i help enable this to happen exactly. yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're loving what you produced which is the show basically you know and so it's, it's like it's what would get me frustrated with some people some club owners i've worked with most club owners i've worked with over the years um it would frustrate me because you know they would either you know, be rude to the, uh, to the artist or something, which, uh, I know even locally, some club owners like that, but anyways, um, (laughs) (laughs) but it's kind of thing where I sit there and go, you know, I'm always very, I do, I bend over backwards to, especially the more tickets you're selling, the more I'm bending over backwards to go. I want the band to be happy when they walk out. I I know they're going to be happy with attendance because it's sold out. But I want them to go, yeah, man, it sounded great. We had a great show, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's like, it's I, I, I'm not expecting it to be their best show of all time or their favorite show. I just want them to walk out going, yeah, man, that was cool. That was good. Totally. So, um, And it's a failure if they, if they sell it out and are totally pissed off when they leave the venue. Man, and it happens. Trust me. Really? It's happened at Freebird. More than you can imagine. It happened at Mavericks almost every show. 
Well, because the venue <laughs> doesn't know how to. Yeah, that's. Anyways, I, like I, I said, I was trying I, not to I go I guess because it's done, you can talk shit about it, but I, that Mavericks place, whew, that was a weird. But yeah, weird but it's because. It's Did you ever play there? Never played Mavericks. No. They lucky. cared <laughs> about. They cared about the money they were making, they but they didn't care about the artist at all. Well, and the reality <laughs> is, is, is most club owners are that way. Yeah. Most, not all. I mean, Jason's a musician. That's why he can be a club yeah. owner and, and everyone. Nice. You know, for, Jason's, Jason's awesome. awesome. But, he, yeah. but, he, but he, I guarantee you he would sit there and go, yeah, man, it's hard because I want to sit there and say yes to all this stuff. And I can't because the reality of the business won't let me say yes to yeah. certain things. And that's, you know, that's a regular thing. And it's a lot easier for him to tell you no than it is for me to tell you no because I'm not a fucking musician. He is. He's been where you're at. He understands, and you kind of would take it better from somebody that has been in your shoes. And I know we're not talking about anything. In you don't play nothing. You're not a musician at all. Nah, I, I can play a little bit of guitar, but I don't play guitar. Like so I've never crazy. played in a band ever. Just some of the people and that I, are in. I the... tell people I wouldn't want to put myself through that torture. <laughs> yeah. And you get up on stage, and if people don't like you, how's that for your self-esteem you, right there? And, uh, and you know, that's what happens all that's the time. Tough. I'm the, like the king of getting rejected my entire life. So being on stage and nobody liking me. Easy. Just another walk just in the, the park. Another just day, bud. <laughs> it's like, but 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 it's like it's like that unsuccessfulness though, is like being is like is like you're like a comedian without all the chicks. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. Well, Keep going. Yeah. No, but <laughs> is this is not front page news. Yeah. yeah. No, um, but seriously. I mean, Denver. My son is is really good on stage, and it's one of those things where it's like. I have no idea where he got it from because people would ask me, hey, will you bring on the band? I'm like, nope. I never want to even get out there, period. I, I mean, the very little bit of of fame that I've I'm not been, I'm not saying I've been famous necessarily, but being around people that have gotten ridiculously famous like Eddie. I mean, the reality is like he could he did for the longest time have to go out in full disguise. And I'm talking fucking yeah. mustaches glasses everything yeah to wild. be able to go in public and that's a scary motherfucking thing to be like yeah it'd be pretty i mean crazy it's one of those but it's kind of thing where i, I sit there the, the little bits of stuff like that i never want to be on stage i just don't want to be on stage i love being a part of it i don't want to be out there and so when i have this son that goes out there and you know when he's 14 he gets up on stage in front of a sold out show and acts like he's been there his whole life and i'm like where do you get this confidence from <laughs> Yeah, it's gotta come mind. from somewhere, it man. It blew my mind. I uh, I will say this: um, that your, uh, I mean, being in Jackson, Jacksonville is where I started, like my first real band, where I've been like, you know, like gigging and and traveling and doing the whole thing, where it wasn't like I was just a side guy, not dealing with the business side of it. Um, so I will say that in traveling a lot and meeting different promoters and 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 venue owners, uh, dealing with you is always super easy uh Thank and you. also i will say that something that kind of kind of cemented this in my it's been, it's kind of in my brain forever now was we did a show it was probably about two years ago now i'm not going to mention what show or who else was involved but what, what See else if i can guess it i know you can guess was it, it my sure. show it was okay. your yeah but yeah right, but cool. i don't want to say any more than that no. though. but i will say is that we we did we put in some some work on the ground for you guys and sold and sold tickets and when uh, 
the, your, your partner didn't want to pay us. You showed up and you're like, no, you pay them because this is what they did. And I was like, that is a, a solid guy right there because like, yeah. it, it, you could have like, I, I, and I know for a fact that you guys probably lost money on that show sure. and you were still like, pay the band, man. Thank you. Got you it. Know? Yeah. You and give and it some. was like, and I just remember just watching that and I was like, this is a person that you want to work a for. A deal's a deal is the way I look at it. Yeah. And it's like, I've done shows, you know, where again, when I started doing shows, there was no such thing as email. Like we didn't do emails to agents. We got on the phone, talked to them, talked about the show, talked about the deal. And then all of a sudden I would get in the mail a big long contract with a bunch of carbon paper behind it with a bunch of other sheets and William Morris were notorious for their super long contracts. Right. Literally it was all, it was the most God awful size paper that you're seeing bullshit in there that it, no one expects but, you to fulfill. But it's like, you know, <laughs> then you get that then you have to sign it really hard because it's got to go through all the copies oh, and they got to mail it back or you keep one copy yourself, mail it back. You never ended up getting it back signed from them because why why would they sign it right you know i mean they they only want you to sign it but if they don't sign it then they can get out of plan exactly they're not accountable yeah, it's, yeah. but and that happens to this day yeah I, I very rarely get contracts back even if i send them in like right away after getting them if i sign them and send them in agent, I, I sometimes i get them back after the show sometimes i get them back before the show but very rarely before the show wow and it's like but um yeah you got i mean a deal's a deal you got to it, the the thing that gets really scary about the ticket sale thing it's funny because every once in a while you know I'll have I'll put a local band opening for a national that's slam dunk show it's not even we don't you know I could get up there with a kazoo and the show's gonna be sold out no matter <laughs> who's opening so and then the band will go hey can we get some pre sale tickets and I'm like oh, no offense but I don't really want you selling pre sale tickets for this because it's gonna all sell online anyways word yeah uh, but I'll go yeah yeah man you will do the same deal on the pre-sale tickets, blah, blah. And I'll give them 50. Okay. We sold off 50. Can we get, no, that's it. You know, that's, we only budgeted $250 or whatever we did for support. So, yeah. When I was kind of with, uh, coming up with uh, lucky Costello, we would do that with uh perpetual grew. Yeah. And Bigger that's, drew. that's gonna, that's gonna sell. And we're like, we're going to open it. And it's like, can we get pre-sale tickets? We would, I would, you know, like yeah. easiest thing in the world. Easy to sell. sell. sell yeah. themselves. But yeah. thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'm just saying that, uh, like, there's been shows where I have a $500 guarantee to a band. Yeah. And they go, well, just get some local bands to open up. I'm like, yeah, but you don't seem to understand the point. If I get three local bands that draw 150 total between them, and you guys only draw 30 or 40 I don't need for you. your $500 guarantee, I go, what's the point? Yeah. And, and I do, and I tell bands this all the time. I go, look. If I'm asking you to open for a national act, you probably should do it most of the time, unless you have like a show that same weekend or something like that. Uh, I tell them that because I go, look, I go, I can't tell you how many bands I've seen play to 13 people and Incubus. I mean, you know, I mean, it's like I can sit there and just name band after band that played in front of nobody hardly the In first time. Incubus through. played to nobody. Yeah, one? Incubus played Jackrabbits. I think the first month we were open, and 99. Chris, yeah, Chris Bolin was there. And like a handful of other people, because it's funny when he worked for me for a little while, he was like, yeah, I was at the Incubus show. Like, you were one of the few, man. 20 people. At, oh, my God. Yeah. And it's That's just crazy. like crazy. You know, I mean, John Mayer, you know, played Jackrabbits early on, too, like that. And, wow. I mean, but John Mayer had like over 100 people at least. But still, yeah. it's kind of like I sit there and go, if I'm asking you over for a national act, not it's not always because I know you're going to draw enough people where I can pay them because 
there's another promoter in town, or you call him promoter or not, but that used to do a little club out on Beach Boulevard that, uh, that he, that's what he did. You know what I mean? He'd book, he'd pay the band, some new metal band, at, you know, $1,500, $2,000 national act. I think I know which place you're talking and about. Then he would, and then he would turn around and get five bands to commit to 50 tickets a piece, and then that's covering the guarantee of the headliner. It's like, dude, the guarantee of the headliner should be covered by the fucking headliner. Yeah, by the headliner, yeah. <laughs> and if well. it's not, then it's wrong. Something's wrong. The deal's wrong, you know? Yeah. I like, think it's a bagel place but, now. But, <laughs> but with, all that sa- with all that said, if you find yourself in that situation where, shit, man, the headliner didn't draw, all the locals did draw, you can't turn around and go, sorry, guys, I have to pay the headliner $1,500 a night. And so I can only pay you a dollar a ticket now instead or something like that. Yeah. You, you have to pay the band what you told them you're right. going to pay Deal is a deal. And guess what? If you take it on the chin, you take it on the chin. It sucks. Yeah. That's why I'm poor and I wear flip-flops <laughs> interviews. <laughs> Seriously. Because I sit there and there's I count on one hand bands that think that I didn't pay them. So, like, did, I'm not talking about bands that like go to Jackrabbits, play a show drew four people and didn't pick up their eight dollars and then got all mad because they never picked up their money it's like pick it up it's in the night go by the door the door guy's still sitting there go ask him do we make any money tonight that's all you gotta say yeah you don't even have to say hey we're supposed to get this we're supposed to get that just ask him you know when you leave and you don't pick up your money i just sit there and go nobody in the band thought to ask the door guy yeah nobody did seriously I will say those are mistakes I made early on as well because nobody told me I was supposed to ask the door guy or nobody. So yeah, there's there's I a lot it. of things. No, I understand. You know, from, from, um, but not but not say. I I love working with you. I'm just saying there's there's, there's some things. bands though. I swear to God, there's some bands that that I that 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 happened with or something. And then I'd say, okay, from now on, please just ask the door guy at the night. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be a bank and sit here and hold your money and then when you come by and come withdraw it. I go right. I just really want you to pick it up that night. And uh, besides, if they leave it there long enough, it'll screw my taxes up. But anyways, yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it will. But it's like I can't put it in the bank because it's not my money. Right. Anyways, but um, there's been a couple bands that literally it just repeated offenders where I'm just like, all right, you guys, I don't care if you get paid then. Yeah, you don't deserve it, yeah. honestly. It's like if you're not going to pick up your money, then you must not care about it that much. You know? so I, I want to ask you something yeah. Um, that, uh, yeah, I know we got to. No, 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 bro. I, I, this has been amazing. I love all this information. But um, there, uh, so I'm really passionate about the, the grind of an, uh, of an original uh, band versus the grind of a bar band. And the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because I grew up, or I kind of came up in the blues scene where that distinction's not made and the blues crowd's kind of like just waiting for something to happen versus the original music grind where it's like, you know, you sell tickets and you keep track of, the, of your numbers and you and you, and you your track fans. your growth yeah. in, in certain markets and it's a whole business. So I, and, and my whole goal with this podcast and with, and just with what I'd like to do as a, as an artist myself is try and inform up and coming bands about the differences in those grinds and why being in the bar scene, the like a local bar scene, can kill your growth in the long run. Even though you're getting paid guarantees up front, and there's it seems like you make more money at first, but in the long run, like for instance, if you let's say you have a major headlining act coming to 1904 or Jack Rabbits or something, right. and you know it's going to be a sellout show, right. you know there's a band locally that has some original tunes, maybe they've reached out to do some shows or whatever. If you know they're playing three nights a week, is that going to be the band that you hit up to open up for them? No, and the reason why is because, and I tell, I've told so many bands this. I go, look, I think 
it's it's all good and smart for your band to play cover band gigs and do those gigs and get paid that money. I totally get it. Change the name of your original act. <laughs> That's what we did. Don't go around playing <laughs> under the same name because I don't give a shit about the band that plays at Cheers every fucking weekend. <laughs> That's true. He's, I just he's don't. Really I love one. it, but I don't because the reality is like that band is playing for that for the bars crowd. They're not playing for their crowd. Right. I can tell you how you can tell. Let's set up a show with them at Rain Dogs and see how many people they draw. Right. Let's set up a show with them at 1904 on a Tuesday night. See how many of that bar crowd from Cheers coming in. None. Yeah, None. Exactly. First they're not they're following the band. They're following the bar. Exactly. And they're not going to show up to hear your right. music. They're going to show up to hear the covers that you've been playing for the last four hours. Also. And there's a there's a good compromise, not compromise, but meld too sometimes. And festivals tend to show the most obvious part of it. Whereas bands do draw at festivals, but the festival itself is the draw. Oh yeah, but it's because of the social thing, and and again, you know the reason my favorite club probably ever I booked was Red Tape and went that Winters Building was because it had several things going on at the same time in a club atmosphere, and Scream was like that too in L.A. I mean, it was like there was a band room that held like you know six seven hundred people, there was a room upstairs that was all videos and just fucking crazy ass shit going on up there. There was an alley where a lot of drugs, I mean, nothing happened in the alley, but um, there was like, it just was a cool atmosphere and vibe. And we would go hang out and scream and be like, God damn, it's crowded night. Who's playing? Oh, I heard the cult's going to play tonight. Oh, cool. You know what I mean? We didn't know. Right. We paid $15 to get in. Some nights we paid twenty five dollars to get in, and we never asked who was playing. We just didn't care. Right, that was the place to be. That's how that's, it was at Freebird. I don't I, like every day of the the night. I was like, I'm just going there. It could be a scene, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, that's, unfortunately, that's I love so much about it, that place. It could have been a big, better scene there, but well, yeah. well, I mean, I'm not trying to slam Freebird because I really enjoy. It. It and if Judy Van Zandt didn't lay down her money to do that club, Jacksonville's music scene would have suffered and enormously such a sweetheart too. compared. Uh, <laughs> To me, she was. She's a great lady. Yeah. She actually is, though. She's a good person. It's no, just one of those things where, um, where it's, again, I, I like I said, the artist is the reason we're all there, ultimately, and yeah. you really need to, and she doesn't need to, because, again, she's not here, she, she doesn't have her success and her money because of the artist that played Freebird, necessarily. So... That's so, kind of why that attitude can pervade in a place like that. I understand. So I kind of, I kind of wanted to. Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes like the promoters. And I loved that place. Don't get me wrong. Oh, I loved doing shows there. I loved, I loved um, most everything about it. But you know, there was issues with bar staff, and there was issues with that didn't have to be that way. It was really funny when it was like, okay, this is the last week here, and the bartenders were like, I don't give a fuck anymore. I got a lot of free drinks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and a lot of them didn't give a fuck way before yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> but been so, the downfall. So yeah. the, I, and the, unfortunately, there's sometimes the promoters and uh, interests and the club owners' interests don't align, and that's yeah. going to kind of just be uh, unfortunate. And even both both can be great people, but sometimes your interests aren't aligned. And that's well, because the agents rely on people like me to when the freebird closes to okay where do we play now in that market right right they don't they don't sit there and go they don't know they're not gonna know you know what i mean oh we don't want to do jackrabbits okay um well how about 1904 wasn't that same size well it's a little bit bigger well we, we really we need to go bigger okay well it's Ponte Vita concert oh that's too big i mean right. honestly it's kind of like conversation that's, i've had last week what's the capacity I, of Ponte Vita concert hall? 900 
Really? Yeah. Wow. And then, and then, uh, uh, nineteen four. Now they're seated. No, 1904 was selling out at 400. I don't yeah. know what after the pandemic. Jason seemed to think it's going to be more like 300 now. Okay. But you know, who knows? I know that if and when, which I think they are for sure doing it. But it'll be a great thing if if the entire industry's back open up. Um, Underbelly is going to see some enormous success. That's right. Yeah, because of the size. Yeah, yep. he's been working his. We, ass but that's out. what I'm saying. If we have a 500, to, you know, and if, if that capacity is legally at least 500, then you know you're talking 600 tickets on a sellout or whatever, including comps and all that stuff. But you're talking about the Freebird again, except downtown. Yep. Yeah. I mean, granted, you don't have the walk up th- that you would have at the beach, True. but you still. You also don't have to deal. Well, maybe they'll jump in the river and it'll be worse. But I. The oh amount my. of bands, national acts that I had agents call me the next day. My fucking lead singer almost died in your venue. I'm like, no, he didn't. <laughs> yeah, he went across the street in the middle of the night, drunk off his ass, was swimming in the ocean <laughs> off the pier, jumped off the pier. I'm like, dude, I can't help it. Uh, what do you want me to do? That's natural <laughs> yeah. selection, bud. That's uh, but but yeah, I think that having a, a like like a, a room between five and seven hundred is is going to really help to build the Jacksonville scene. Well, it's honestly, critical. it's critical. There isn't one at all. Right. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it's like we, there was a church that's for sale that we were seriously looking at. Like we had just found it maybe two or three weeks before the pandemic started, and we were doing a little bit of due diligence on it and stuff like that and get talking to people that said that they would invest in heavy hitter investments. And, uh, obviously pandemic happened. And I'm like, Amos like, well, what do you think about that? And I'm like, I think nothing. I think I'm not doing anything as far as trying to open something new. That's why I respect if they get that open underbelly really quick after it's all over. But it's like, I wouldn't be upset with them if they don't because shit everybody right now is just going oh, man i hope we all come out of this on the other side yeah. and we're all going yeah i still do shows or i do this or i do that because a lot of us you know a lot of people are just going to be like forget it you know totally man no he's he's um, gung-ho about it because no, I, I know he's gung-ho about it but it's kind of a matter of you know it's a rental thing for them unless yeah. they unless they have a deal to buy the building somehow because i think they own the building that 1904 is in i'm not sure i think they do i for some reason think they do i don't think i know they I don't imagine they own the corner building where they put Spliss now, but I have no a feeling idea. that the that the calf that nineteen oh four the building and the place where Spliffs used to be, I think that, that him and Dwayne and them bought that building, I think. So I mean to me I sit there and go, which is great because they'll likely survive no matter how bad it gets for a while you know, like that's the reason Jackrabbits can stick around right now is because, you know, my wife owns the building at this point and it's like you know we don't have to there's no nothing to default on you know what i mean right. granted we may if if the entire thing got shut down again i'd literally just say turn tell ga turn off the power and let's just keep it dark until till someday we can open it again you yeah know? and so that sad. but most places can't do that because they're paying rent i mean christina wagner she's stressing up the wazoo and i don't blame her and that's expensive real estate she's having to pay rent there whether she is busy or not, you know? And so it's like, yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Same with the guys in, at archetype. I mean, the reality is that's a rent. That's not, they don't own it. So, but Connor's doing a out. fantastic job of they keeping everybody safe and, and doing everything he can to keep that place. Open yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm stoked at, at how little is really actually closed. Yeah. You know? So, um, 
there was a couple more things I wanted to touch on uh, before we have to start wrapping it up. But um, um, so you mentioned something about like, uh, well, just either way, I want to kind of like know from a promoter's perspective. And since you you seem to be a fan of music. What, when you walk into a show, first off, when you put on a show, especially a bigger show, are there details that you're going to pay attention to because you were a fan first versus like somebody who comes into the promotion game is trying to make money? Wow, that's a good question. Um, if you're talking about a big show, I mean, yeah, no, not really. Yeah, because the thing is you can't keep an eye on all of it. Yeah. I mean, that's truly giving you hoping that people like Les Targonsky, which was our production manager for the longest time at Free, at Freebird, but does Danny Wimmer's festivals for him now. But <clears throat> he's, you know, that's where you have to count on people like that, where you just go, I've hired one of the best people I know that has done this countless times, and I, I got to rely on him that, yeah, man, it's all going smooth, or no, this shit's fucked up. What, you know, okay, Les, what can I do to help? What can I, you know, and... <clears throat> you know, luckily at like the amphitheater, those guys, you know, when they're not doing one of my shows or doing a show for AG or Live Nation or what. In other words, they're pros, period. They're pros. We pay them like pros. Trust me. It's like when I get the expenses, I just sit there and go, holy shit, how much <laughs> do we pay for security tonight? But um, but yeah. the reality is, is, is uh, it's that's they do it right. It's a great venue because because of the I mean. The difference, to, I tell you this all the time, I go, it's not that I hate Shad Khan or I hate, you know, the stadium there or anything, but that's that's a shit-ass excuse for an amphitheater, Daily says. Really? I mean, I've been, let's, uh, well, I've only been to four shows there. I haven't been to All one, four so shows know. sounded like ass, sounded yeah. like the Milk Bar back in the day, sounded like Mavericks did when it was bad. I there was s- times, we had plenty of shows at Mavericks that sounded good. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I, I know what you're saying. Mainly, the problem with Mavericks was there was too many different sound companies coming in there all the time. And, you know, when we had Bill Parker stuff in there regularly and it was the same people and same, you know, we had a string of shows that production wise, sound wise, they were good. But um, but unfortunately, the whole club was a clusterfuck all the time. So it wasn't it wasn't always a production issue. It would be very much so at Mavericks, a, a bar staff issue or a security issue or whatever. It just, it was a clusterfuck. Um, so yeah, so at Mavericks, I would walk in at, to answer your question and I would walk in and go, and I'd joke around to whoever was doing the door for me. I'd go, well, let's see what happens tonight. Because <laughs> every night there would be something, including a drunk club owner in the dressing room with the band hassle just wanting to meet him or something and i'm and like, you're just like Fuck. don't fucking go in the band's dressing room you dumbass i don't go in the band's dressing room i'm fucking paying the band at the end of the night and i'm not going in the dressing room unless they invite me right or unless i knock at least say hey guys i'm looking for so-and-so i am very very aware that there's plenty of things that go on in dressing rooms that i don't want to know about right and even if i did want to know about them it's not my right that's their little spot on the road that they should expect privacy yeah Totally. So anyway, but I'm but it's one of those things where, you know, there's different places, you know, different, you know, Freebird ended up being almost similar to Jackrabbits. Rob is great at Jackrabbits. And bottom line is, is it's real small and real easy to, you know, Rob says it is. That's what it is. It's, you know, yeah. I mean, that's it's easy and it sounds great. You know, Rob is a man. I love it, Rob. It's just man. one of those things where it's a great sounding room. And uh, 
and it's just a little rock box and it's easy and it's like you know lee does it every night rob does it every night so it's kind of like it's just like you know unless you're coming in with something that we've never seen like a three-headed horse on stage <laughs> you know what i mean it's like we're not gonna sit there and go no but we're all you know anyways but it's just different every single show is or every single venue is different and right way, i mean 1904 seems to be run well i hate their entrance it's scary as I wish so bad they would change it somehow where you didn't bottleneck you get, you, right at yeah, the front Yeah, you get door. a little bit stuck in there. And there's yeah, a, yeah and I so, know what you mean. But I love the venue itself. I mean, yeah, I love great. the height, the ceiling, because you can have a great light show there. You know, it's it's virtually impossible at a place like Jackrabbits or, or Rain Dogs or anything like that to have a real big feeling. Like, you can look at a video of 1904 on the stage from the back of the room. And you're like, it could be the Freebird or it could be bigger even. Yeah, like, totally. It looks big. It looks yeah. big, yeah. You never would guess that room was that small when you wa- if you were just looking at the video of that shot. And that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Totally. So, so uh, one last thing before we wrap it mm-hmm. up and get to unpopular opinions. Um, is there any uh, advice you can give to up-and-coming bands that are trying to reach out and, and uh, play a show or just trying to you know develop themselves in the market? It used to be say yes more than no. I guess it still would be say yes more than no. In other words, you can't, you're, you're never going to get anything if you say no to stuff. I mean, you're just not going to get anywhere. You know what I mean? It's like, now I understand, you know, a band that's been around and, you know, drawing a thousand people. And if I'm asking them to play a 200 capacity club, them saying no, I get that. But generally speaking, you know, you should say, why do you want us to play a 200 capacity club again? Oh, because so-and-so owns it, you know. Eddie Vedder owns that club. Oh, shit, you know? I mean, I'm not saying he owns a club. I'm just saying it could be a reason why I'm asking them to do something that I wouldn't normally ask them to do. So so I say say yes before. Say yes. I love what you said earlier about, like, if I am offering you to open up for a national act, take it. Right, because even if it's not a big, you (laughs) may not know who the act is. Yeah. I mean, when I managed uh, Silent Treatment and the band ended up doing a different singer and called, Call themselves if tomorrow change the name, blah, blah, blah. But they they opened for Smashing Pumpkins, and it was at the Casbah, which was real small. It was like half the size of Jackrabbits at the time. Wow. Because they had two locations. The first one was like 75 capacity, and the next one was like 200-something capacity. <clears throat> but this was at the 75 capacity club. And I'm like and, – and I remember James, uh, the bass player, said, Smashing Pumpkins, why – really you think we should open for these guys or who are they well and i'm like they're gonna be huge man and he's like and this is me as their manager so they of course did the show and it was hilarious because they did a flyer that said if tomorrow with smashing pumpkins oh <laughs> Just boy like, but it yeah. didn't matter you know the show was sold out and but it was like and the band became huge and stuff and it was kind of like and this other band uh ghoul spoon that was a local band that i did not manage but they 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 were like the running joke near the end of that band was was if you're an up and coming band that signed to a record label or a national act, open for Ghoul Spoon. You'll be huge because <laughs> like Deftones open for them, Corn open for them, all these bands would open for them. And it'd be like Ghoul Spoon would headline and pack out the club, and then everyone would be like, "Did you see that band right before Ghoul Spoon? Corn, yes, they were so killer. Funny. I can't believe it. I mean, I did 15 shows with Corn before they got the record deal. No basically. shit. Yeah. Holy it's kind of like I, you know, when you see something that you're like, this is going to be big, you try to work with it as much as possible. Totally. So, well, um, some good advice, Tim. But yeah. I'm saying, in other words, there's plenty of times where it's national act, and I'm bo- and I know they're not going to draw. Yeah. And I'm booking them for a reason. I don't, I don't always sit there and go, 
you know, if an agent tells me out of this band, if I don't think they're that good, I mean, sometimes I'll book them still, but most of the time I'll go, eh, no, we're just pass or whatever. You know what I mean? It, it, but the thing is, when nobody's heard of the band at all and I'm booking them, generally speaking, if they're not from Jacksonville, you probably should just say, you know, well, they're a national act, blah, blah, blah. Let's do some more homework on them. Oh, so-and-so's working with them. That's why so-and-so produced them, you know? Yeah, you hooked us up. With, you you put us in one time with a band called Opposite Box from uh from uh Chattanooga, and I've maintained a great relationship with them ever since. We, it wasn't a great. Uh, we didn't bring a bunch yeah. of people out, but I mean, and they're not huge. They're, but yeah, they're not big, but I mean, you you had you had shown us their uh their their credentials, and they opened up for like Lettuce and yeah. did a bunch of stuff. And I was like, as I talked to my manager, he's like, "What do you think about this?" And I was like, "Well, we should probably do that just because." They seem to be in the same vein. They're from a market that we want to break into, and uh, we might be able to get some people yeah, out for them. Some shows, you know? yeah. Swap some shows, and we we haven't done anything since. But uh, we I've been in contact with them, and we've been we've just we've be, we've, we've become good friends since that show. So yeah. there's been plenty of you. You had us open up for Kung Fu, which was a lot of fun. I mean, it, for me, good it was. Band. Yeah, it, yeah it, again, it wasn't a great night, but, yeah. but I mean, no, I mean, we, that's what I'm saying. That's but for me, like, I get to meet Tim Pagliari, who's like one of my favorite guitar players of all time, and like, it was just, and we got to, you know, play, just make that connection. And it was just and cool. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes, and I, this one thing I'll tell bands to the day I die, it's like, play the show like it might be your last show, because it might be your last show, yeah. first of all. But play, you don't know who's in the audience. It, it could be somebody that can enormously help you take your music to could the next level. Could be Trent Reznor. It could be anybody, though. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Totally. You never know. Totally. I mean, people you know, are in the back of the room sometimes. You just don't even know who they're... They could be texting somebody like, Turn it, you go see this man. Absolutely. Jackson, you never know. Absolutely. You know, so. um, all right, well, we got to get to unpopular opinions. Yeah, so someone's got to go to work. Someone's got to go to work. I, so. work. I work nice, Chef. Where are you working? Right from here. What, 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 where are you working? Uh, uh, for, uh, uh, actually, yeah, you were with... Uh, did you have USAA? Home insurance? Yeah. I work I for you. You, <laughs> you work for USA? It's a, uh, yeah, that's I, the best I, insurance company out there for there the most is, part. For, especially if you're in the military. I have auto insurance room. I don't know if, I, if we have our home insurance. That's room. what I do. I do emergency <laughs> mitigation claims for uh, uh, USA. That's okay. 8.30, 6.30. My, uh, my brother-in-law on my wife's side, he uh, worked in Tampa. For, I think he's still working for USA. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Nice. Good job. I've been doing it for 10 years and... I had it. My dad was military, and I'm military. Yeah, ex-military. So it's the kind of thing where I had it all my life because that's that. That's kind of what they started out as, basically. Mm-hmm. But now they're fucking mammoth. Yeah, they're yeah. enormous. Yeah. yeah, I'm well aware. Sorry. Um, I'm glad you got a job. Thank you. That's better than a lot of people. What's right funny now, is man. I work from home. As the pandemic happened, I was like, oh, I got to work from home now. I'm like, there's yeah. nothing has changed. Yeah, it's just for you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly totally. the same. Um, all right. So my first unpopular opinion. And this is not a jab at you, Tim. I but sandals <laughs> as actual footwear no, it's okay. is stupid. Yeah. yeah, well, so here's <laughs> and, and here's and here's and here's why I'm saying sandals as actual footwear is stupid uh, is because one night when I was uh, it ended up being the morning by this point and I had taken some fun things uh, like hallucinogens, seaweed. And, yeah, seaweed, and uh, it, 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 we were walking up to a McDonald's. I didn't have any shoes on me, and I was like. It said uh, shoes and shirt required to walk in here. And I'm like, if I walked in with sandals, which is literally a piece of rubber that stands between me and the floor, uh, then what is the difference between me walking in here barefoot and that? So anyways, uh, to me, there's no difference. Isn't it a hygiene thing, though? Yeah, but I mean, as far as they're concerned. 
I guess, but it's like a piece. But it's like my foot is completely exposed. Tim, these yeah, are, totally. These are unpopular. <laughs> yeah, these yeah are, that's right. That's it's, right. It's, it's I, a I'm of, right. I'm not on I'm, his I'm side. It's a piece of rubber between my foot yeah. and the floor. Uh-huh. It just and you know and I, maybe you and don't. Your know. underwear is just a bunch of cotton between your dick and the rest of your, the world. Yeah, but then I have clothes <laughs> on top of that. This is these are all true statements. We should all speed. We should be a nudist colony. Let's well, just do that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the uh, my first unpopular opinion is I love folding clothes. I'm the only man that loves doing laundry. I don't know what the you're probably the only. Pr- I don't think that anybody loves doing laundry. You love but. folding clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know why. Uh, it's just it's, it's uh, my mind's going a mile a minute all the time, and I can finally just zone out and do something just repetitive. And I'd be if I wasn't a musician, I'd be a great machinist. I'll tell you that much. Do you? What do you play? Drums? Piano. Piano. Now, oh, okay. <laughs> Duh. Now, do you um, do you do any other kind of art? No, I'm actually really bad at everything else. I'm really good it's at not very uh, creative. I would video think editing. Really, if if you like folding clothes and that actually calms you down, I'm good at or, origami. I, I would do that think too. That, you, that anything like you could be a good optometrist or not, whatever yeah. optician. The guys that do the little screws and put it there, your glasses and shit. Yeah, the, I like, would think you'd be good at that. I, I can make. I can. Because it's a focus thing. It's yeah, yeah totally. I can make like the the tedious world's world. Yeah. yeah, tedious stuff like that. I love that for some reason. I can make you like the world's smallest origami crane. Now, do you smoke a lot of weed? I don't smoke any you, weed. The thing is. My old roommate, the singer of If Tomorrow, the band after the silent treatment. Anyways, he w- that's what he did. He worked for like one of the big companies, like Pearl Vision or something. But that's what he did. He fucking people fixed people glasses all day. He would leave the house completely baked at lunch. He'd yeah, be baked again. Go back into work. Finish. I mean, he, he I could do that said, all day. He said because it made him really good at that basically because yeah. everything else was nothing was happening around him that yeah, was another one of my unpopular opinions is i love building ikea furniture i could do that all day too that's what i mean that's, it, that takes a special skill though i could be yeah, yeah i could be to, a factory to, worker to the, for sure to, you don't you, <laughs> yeah there's really no you might think you i don't know like, what skill that is though <laughs> it's it's focused though it's being able to be focused how am i yeah. focused attention to detail yeah, I have that, but which is ironic because like my brain is just like. But that's all like they yell at you in the in the military when you're coming in boot camp and shit. All they scream at you all day long. Attention to detail. Oh, I would f- I would feel like a uh, circle peg and a round hole in the military too, for sure. Right. But I just. I but not an attention to detail part. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Billy's uh, not a very creative guy for a musician, you know. But I mean, it's okay. What are you gonna do? It's pretty you give him the instructions, he'll nail it. Yeah, I will. But nail if, you it. Guy, if, if, if it takes any kind of like creative thought on how to get from point A to point B, yeah, not gonna get to point B. I'm just saying. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I get out myself. <laughs> uh, all right, so my second unpopular opinion is uh, if you listen to an audio book, it does not mean that you read the book. Let's just be clear about that. I mean. What, well, you what, didn't what read is, the book, but yes, you did, sort of. Yeah, what is you the book? You listened to the book? book. What is the book made out of? It doesn't matter. What it's is it made out of? It's, it's made out of words, right? Right. So then you hear the words? But How is reading, that different than, than reading is a skill set. Reading is, it, it's like, okay, well, if I listen to this it's, record, did I play the record? Huh? If I listen to a record, did I play the record? What does that mean? Do you play yeah, the record? Yeah, you press bit. play on the record, and then it plays the record. And I and I listened to the record, but I didn't yeah. like. But I didn't like play. You didn't play the music on it on the of record. Not. Okay, but but it's that's like, different than what he's saying. So are you saying if you read the book, you wrote it too? What's <laughs> yeah, wrong? That's a bad analogy. Yeah, maybe. it was bad. Right. Uh, but if you if you if you listen to audiobook, you read it. Then then, and you're listening to exactly the same words that are written. For the book, yeah. Then you've kind of read it. I think I, how, how are you going to tell that? To I think you've heard the how book. How are you going to tell that to blind people? I wish Anne was here, my wife, because she reads like 
ridiculous amount of books a day. Yeah. I mean, she reads all the time. I don't know. Well, popular opinion. That was it isn't a popular opinion. I'm like Trump. I'm not a reader. Yeah, I'm not, not a read a lot. I'm not a I don't either. read a lot. I'm not a big reader either, but I'm just saying Wait, reading is a skill set. My wife reads all the time. Oh, all good. I'm saying is reading is a skill set and listening is a different skill set. Listening, I think reading so, is definitely a skill set. And yeah. I agree with you that listening is a different skill set. I just don't know if I'm ready to buy into the you didn't read the book because you didn't use your eyes. You use your ears. Yeah, you yeah. listened to the book. You didn't read you the did, book. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I yeah. guess. Did, I, yeah, that's a tough one. It's that's a good one. It's, it's the attention to detail, Bill, that I know you're not there yet. But that's we'll a good unpopular. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with attention to yeah. detail. <laughs> I know. I was fucking with uh, uh, My second one is uh, cockroaches aren't that disgusting. They are that disgusting. Cox, have you squished them many cockroaches? Yeah, really like gross. a thousand of them. Because I, ever They're since gross. I moved to, from they Kentucky that, to Florida. That amber looking gut stuff that's Yeah, out, I'm right there with you. It's just that people people are like so are saying that. Yeah, I don't, I'm not into roaches they, at all. I'm not into it. I'm just like, it's just another bug to me but like my girlfriend is like the terrified of him he's hilarious when he's when you uh, put one around him he just freaks out i'm just like it's just another bug i'll kill I it i can't do roaches man they're they're disgusting how it's, are they any different than any other bug i just don't get it what about madagascar roaches and what, stuff like that what are those hissing roaches giant ones fucking give Planet me a tennis Radio, racket it's did, over we did a, a show with um queens of the stone age and they did a contest where they they Bought some of those Madagascar roaches <laughs> and had people eat them to win tickets. Yeah, like, no, no, I'm not like gonna eat one. Fear Factor shit. Yeah. I'm not gonna like, eat one. I'm just crazy. not scared of them. I'm like, I'm just like. You know bye. what's so disgusting <laughs> about them is that it's they look gross. Number one, but set, number two, they're the fastest animal on the planet. They're if fast. you take off, if you account, fast. For and they can fly, the size, and they can fly. But they're the fat. They, if, if you if you take if you take into account their size right uh, and you and you scale it to scale they're the fastest animal do on the they planet. bite did you know that did I you? don't think they bite so why are you no, what they, are you they, afraid no, no, of they, they they're look, gross no no check this out look, that's what look, I mean, look it up what, I think look, look it up when you're sleeping gross. that's why it's unpopular no here's here's why they're also gross is when you're sleeping they actually eat your fingernails and and your eyelashes do you know what a bunch of good guys you know what I mean you're saying roaches eat. Stuff when they, they they no. If I had a road, statistically speaking, I think somebody like twenty five between twenty five and fifty percent of the people that live today have had a roach crawl in their mouth while they're sleeping. I don't believe How that do at all. How do you prove that? Yeah, Just saying it was a study that was done. This is they good, say this is a good it. One. Ask Trump. They I said would, it. They, they said it. I've the heard. Trumps. People have told me. People have told me. I've heard. I've heard. You just <laughs> said it. That's why you heard it. Yeah, exactly. You heard yourself. Yeah, me and Donnie don't talk anymore. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> what's your last uh, one? My last one is I cannot stand the way that sage smells. Yeah, hippies, man. That's yeah. a rough one. Well, that's just, yeah, Especially yeah. when you guys play in bands that draw a lot of hippies. Jam bands, yeah. I'm just so not He's a hippie. He's alienating all of our fans constantly. <laughs> I'm, a de- I'm a Grateful Dead fan. I don't like the way you say, I don't I like the way Sage smells. Patchouli oil, do you love that? No. No. Yeah, patchouli <laughs> oil is bad too, man. That's it's like, the that's worst. That's like, I didn't put any deodorant on today, but I did I doused myself. I poured a bunch of patchouli <laughs> oil all over my shoulders. It's cr- terrible. Oh, I had yeah. a roommate that did that and a girlfriend, actually. <laughs> Woof. All right, so what's 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 your last one? Last one is uh, uh, Riverside is better than the beach. You heard it here first. I I went back to the beach uh, uh, this weekend. I was just like, eh, I don't know. I just moved from the beach. I lived there for 15 years, and then I'm just like, I I, I just moved here in March. Now I like it. If money wasn't an option, which would you rather live in? Though? Ooh, the beach. Right. <laughs> so the beach is better. No, I'm 100. It just depends on your financial status I'm on whether I would 100. It is pretty crazy that I've got really? a, a oh, yeah. with all the money. 
no money's not an I, option. I like you. Know, my whole philosophy is everyone needs a little seed in their life. You know what I mean? No. Keeps you on your toes. It's it it adds a little bit of character to who you are. I feel you got to be exposed to a little seed in your life. Riverside oh, has the nice big homes, yeah. but also it's you know it's got it's got a little seed. All the music, oh, all the music venues are here. What do you yeah. want me to say? Yeah, there's, like, there's no good. Yeah, that's the thing. There's it's no like, good place to like, see original music at the beach. Except for, no, Blue Jay listening room. I'm sorry. Yeah, for Blue Jay listening that. room. Yeah. But you're not exactly going to see corn there. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? You're not going to see a loud rock and roll band. Right. You know what I mean? They're going to see a couple of loud bands. And I got a, I got a two-story house speaking. to myself for $900 a month. Yeah, no, no, I get that. <laughs> I'm not saying that, that with money being a factor, that Riverside isn't better. It's yeah. way better. But I like um, it. I, I actually just like it a lot, as well as I was going to say. Yeah. I feel like even though there's crime, there's way more crime at the beach than there is out here in Riverside, I believe. I don't know about that. I know there's crime out here, but it just feels different. Yeah, the, be- the beach gives me... A, the, the beach has got like a... I don't know. Just in general, I just, I, I just don't like the beach. I'm not into the, the crime is no crowd. rhyme or reason at the beach. Whereas the crime of Riverside, if you're a total, you know, clueless person or something, sometimes you more victims. Yeah, Riverside. Totally. The beach, they they don't give a fuck. You know, yeah. just yeah. rob anybody. I feel that. Well, Tim, what's your last? Oh, I, oh yeah. On the last one, I'm going to say the one that I said earlier, which is uh, when we're before we went on the air. Hot dogs are motherfucking sandwiches. Yeah, <laughs> I would agree with that. If the hot dog is on a hot dog bun, yeah. it's a sandwich. I don't. I, sandwich. I. I. I really don't think it's a sandwich. But what would it be then? It's a. Hot it's just dog. a hot dog. Look at the end of it. Is a hamburger There's, a sandwich too? Yes. I guess? Yes. Oh. Totally. Well, I guess that makes more sense. Maybe it's the vertical versus horizontal. Is it a subway yeah. sandwich? And the way you eat a it. subway sandwich. Yeah. But a taco is not a sandwich. It's not use. They don't use the bread though. Or a pita is a pita sandwich. See, there you're getting really close. Well, I feel like the reason why they have they have names for it. Yeah, totally. They're different names for it. Like a hot dog is a hot dog because it's called a hot dog. A sandwich is a sandwich because it's a sandwich. Yeah. Now how it works? But where what what if you put so if your hot dog is sliced in half and you put it on on two pieces of bread? Oh my god, that's a bun. Is that a sandwich? (laughs) Oh, I've done that many times. (laughs) That's what we had to eat when we were kids because we used to do it all the time. You ran out of hot. (laughs) You don't have hot dog buns, so you put it on bread, or you take a half piece of bread and fold it over. And see, now that's a hot dog sandwich. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Hot dog is not a sandwich. Well, that's so I don't know. That might not be that unpopular opinion. But I think that it's is my unpopular. Opinion. I think it's it is unpopular. It's, 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 it's at least a controversial opinion. <laughs> exactly. I think we're batting a thousand on a popular opinion. Yeah, it's we crushed good. it today. <laughs> you guys uh, Tim, it. thanks for being thanks here, for man. Having me, really man. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. This is yeah, a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. It's good time. Everybody, all musicians and artists coming up, trying to do their thing. Like heed Tim's words. Had a lot of experience, and we're just stoked that you were on here to kind of give some insight. Um, and make sure you follow us on all the platforms, Instagram, Facebook, bottom of the bill, also side hustle, side hustle, the band, Instagram, uh, Facebook and all that stuff, Twitter, uh, all that stuff. So, um, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next time. My, uh, my shows are jackslive.com, J X L I V. Yes. I'm sorry. I asked him earlier. He didn't want to plug anything. So jackslive.com. Yeah, that's, that's the, that's the name of the website. Okay. That has every show that I'm involved Who's in. Who's playing Jackrabbits this weekend? I don't know. Exactly. I really don't. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll see you guys next time. Okay. Adios, muchachos. See ya.